Now is the time and wherever you are is the place. The Citadel makes it easier to earn your degree by offering master's degrees, graduate certificates, and undergraduate degree completion programs that are entirely online. Flexible scheduling makes these programs convenient for working professionals. Online classes are held to the same high standards that consistently name the Citadel the number one master's granting public college in the South. The Citadel. Online. On your time. Visit citadel.edu slash online. I mean, respectfully, guys, I don't, I find this, a lot of this offensive. Gary Hoffman. You're coming to some serious conclusions for a guy that has zero intelligence. Shannon Farron. Gary. We have nothing to hide. Shannon. Shameful and wrong. Gary and Shannon. That's what you guys should be writing in cover. if I told you that I love, 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 love you? Yeah, what if I told you that I love, love, Gary and Shannon, KFI AM640 Live, everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. Not a lot of days where you can be kind of confident that every one of us had the same thought first thing when we woke up this morning. Did that really happen? Hmm. Is Kobe Bryant really gone? I don't remember ever going to social media, Twitter, Instagram, and seeing every post about one one topic. And that's what it was. That's what it's been for almost 24 hours now. Every tweet, every picture, every post is about Kobe Bryant. I was trying to figure out yesterday, um, I was, my wife and daughter and I were driving through Texas. We were actually in Waco, Texas when uh, somebody texted to say Kobe died. And I, first of all, didn't understand the context of it because I thought it was a, a, a funny line, like a piece of Kobe died because LeBron James just passed him on the all-time scoring list. Yeah. That's it. And it was a few minutes later that I realized that that was, that he it was it was killed in a helicopter crash. That's the most bizarre, uh, weird realization to come to. I think. Well, it's funny that you say that. No, not funny, but I think a lot of us went straight to this is fake news, or this is a hoax, yeah. or this is a joke, or something like that. Nobody, I don't think, saw that post from TMZ yesterday morning and thought that this happened, that this really happened, and it still feels surreal. Um, and the idea that we lose a sports icon like that in a plane crash. I mean, plane crashes aren't uncommon, helicopter crash, whatever, Thurman Munson, Newt Rockney, Roberto Clemente. I mean, we've lost sports icons like this before, but in terms of what he meant to the sport and what he meant to the, um, just in terms of his recognition what, uh, what, to the country as a whole. Well, what he meant to Los Angeles. I mean, I think That's this, the other this part hit Los it. Angeles more than any story, I think, in, in my lifetime. And it's for a number of reasons. I mean, Kobe was in the league for 20 years, starting when he was 17. We watched this guy grow up. We grew up with him. Um you know, he has been in the public eye since he was 17 years old. We've seen him fall from grace. We've seen him mature. We were seeing his second act 
we saw him mature before our very eyes Saturday night when he sent that when he tweeted about LeBron congratulating LeBron. And if you listen to the LeBron interview after he took over that number three on the all time scoring leaderboard list from Kobe, he talks and it is eerie because he says things like this doesn't even make sense. It's surreal. I can't believe this is happening. And the same words could have been said all day yesterday. Yeah. I, so uh, driving northbound I-35 into Dallas, listening to a Dallas sports station do this story and cover the story. And, th- I mean, these guys are Dallas Mavericks fans through and through. And they've, I guess, admired Kobe as an enemy. You know, uh, they've admired him and his competitiveness from elsewhere in the Western Conference, which was interesting to see because they still gushed about his prowess. They they gushed about his ability. They they talked about his I- iconic stature when it comes to the uh, National Basketball Association. And they played, I don't know, it was probably four or five minutes, I think, of LeBron James explaining his connection to Kobe Bryant when he was a kid. In New Jersey, he drove to Philadelphia to watch Kobe play. And, I mean, at that time, even then, LeBron James was known nationally because he was a ridiculously talented high school basketball player. And Kobe gave him a pair of his shoes, which were the wrong size. LeBron wore them anyway when he was 15 years old or something like that. Dirk Nowitzki was on Twitter this morning saying, Mamba, this is hitting me really hard. I will always remember coming home after games so I could watch you dominate in the fourth quarter. You inspired so many around the world, including me. You'll always be missed. You'll always be remembered. You'll always be loved. I think that when you're a competitor, uh, no matter if you've been rivals for your entire career, you respect that in, in each other. And, and the thing with Kobe was it was work ethic from go. This was somebody who did not allow any excuses. He expected the most out of his teammates, and that sometimes led to some consternation uh, in the locker room. But it was always to make people better. You know, it was always to get the best out of people. It wasn't to be a D. It was he expected the best from you because he expected the best from himself. And he said he always wanted to be remembered as a player that never wasted a day, never wasted a moment. And and I think that that was the kind of accountability that you saw him bring as he would address other teams and uh, even other sports. I know he would go to the Chargers frequently and talk to that team and talk about work ethic and what it takes to be a champion and all of that. And when you're a competitor, I think you really respect that mentality, that Mamba mentality. There were two things yesterday that stood out to me, two responses to this that stood out to me. The the, the first one was uh, when I finally got into Dallas-Fort Worth Airport and was able to sit down and like look at my phone for the first time after, you know, two hours of driving to get sort of get a flavor of what's going on social media wise was Shaq's response. Yeah. Shaq's tweet, which was, I, I lost a brother. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but he, but he used the and term brother and a niece. Yeah. And, and, you know, we'd always heard about the, the constant friction between those two guys. And in fact, we were on with Fred a couple of weeks ago. One of the questions was, what prevented the uh, what prevented the the, the Lakers, Lakers from, from winning, winning more. ten in a row? I right? Think, was it the like Spurs that. or was it the, the was fight it the fight with, with yeah. Shaq? Yeah. Uh, and then the second one was a video that was of Doc Rivers. No, that was good, but but it was a video of Gianna, the thirteen year old mm-hmm. Kobe's daughter, who was lost in that crash yesterday. Also, it was her 
at a basketball game, her own basketball game, full uniform. With the jersey in her mouth? With the, no, it was when one of the little sisters comes running across the court oh, and they yeah. embrace in a hug. It's just a quick, you know, yeah. five, ten second gif that someone had made about of the video. But that was like, because that, yes, I mean, the news is Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. There are eight other people who were involved in that. And, and as you go through, I mean, uh, most of them have been identified. I understand the New York Times has put out all of their names. They're all, they are, I mean, every one of those families, and in some cases the families lost multiple members, they're all dealing with a simple tragedy that, that is horrific. Matt Mauser lost his wife, Christina, and he said, I have three small kids and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate life with three kids and no mom. Right. That's what he said this morning. We'll talk about some of the other people that were lost in that crash. And, you know, you bring up a really good point talking about Gianna and her little sister. You know, you you think about those girls, not just, you know, they're never going to hear their father tell them that he loves them again. Um, But losing a, a big sister like that, who they idolize as well. It's just... A lot of families in complete heartbreak and a city in heartbreak, too. Well, we have a lot of uh, a lot of topics that have come up as a result of this. And this is an incredibly busy day also because we have uh, FBI Prince Andrew news. We have impeachment news with John Bolton and the book that's supposed to come out. We have information about an attack on the U.S. Embassy in uh, Baghdad. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff going on today. And we'll bring it to you uh, as we go through what's only supposed to be a four hour show. Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. President Trump's legal team is back before the Senate defending him in the impeachment trial on Capitol Hill. And they do so with a new accusation out from former National Security Advisor John Bolton. Uh, According to the New York Times, Bolton claims in a book that's going to be published in March that the president said he would not release the aid to Ukraine unless they launched that investigation into the Bidens. Bolton's team, I understand, has pushed back against this, but we'll talk more about it when we get to uh, a little bit later in this hour and then again in uh, Swamp Watch. Also, uh, coronavirus has shown up in California and uh, having gone through airport this weekend saw my first coronavirus uh, sign which was just like it's exciting hey, time in your life if you're if you came in from wuhan today we'd like you to go see one of our security officers really quickly check in uh we got a thousand bucks to give away here's how you can win it for your chance at a thousand bucks text the nationwide keyword change c-h-a-n-g-e to 200 200 you'll get a confirmation text and info standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest that's change to 200 200 got to pick up that phone if you get a call from a number even if you don't recognize that number to win the thousand dollars because if you don't pick up they will uh, call somebody who will give them a thousand bucks so we're doing this every hour 20 minutes after every hour between 5:20 in the morning and 6:20 at night here on KFI. We're talking about some of the other victims in this helicopter crash. One family, John, Carrie and Alyssa, three Altobellis lost. John Altobelli, known as Alto, 56 years old, one of the most successful junior college baseball coaches in the country there at Orange Coast College. More than 700 victories over 27 seasons. They said he was doing 
for baseball what Kobe Bryant was doing for basketball. And we had a message from Johnny wrote to us at Gary and Shannon on Facebook saying, I'm heartbroken. John was an amazing person. He coached his team with dignity. It didn't matter who you were. He was always there. If you needed him, I considered him a mentor and a friend. Uh, Family and friends also identified Sarah and Peyton Chester, a mother and daughter who lived in Orange County, who died in the crash. And then the pilot among those who died, Ara Zaboyan of Huntington Beach, commercial helicopter pilot, apparently had been working with uh, Kobe for several years as his personal pilot. Also, and we mentioned before the break, Christina Mauser as well, um, a mom, a wife and uh, a, a basketball coach. Three kids. Corbin Carson's been covering this story, uh, and we get an update from him right now. Corbin, how's it going? It's going good. Yes, sad day yesterday. We were all out there. I spent most of yesterday at the crash scene. We're now waiting as we turn the page to figure out what caused this all to happen. Certainly, we'll have to wait for an official cause from the NTSB which could take a month for the preliminary report and maybe a year for the official cause. But already many aviation experts pointing to weather likely to be a key part of that investigation. There was a thick layer of dense fog covering most, if not all, of the flight path yesterday. As we now know, Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter and seven others you just mentioned took off from John Wayne Airport about 9 a.m., heading up to some basketball games in the Thousand Oaks Newberry Park area. Witnesses, again, say that fog covering very low. One witness has said the the covering was about three or 400 feet off the ground. The guy said he could hear the helicopter above before it crashed and couldn't even see the helicopter because the fog was just that dense. And again, we've heard L.A. police helicopters yesterday morning were also grounded because of that fog. The LAPD saying their minimum requirements for helicopters to fly are two miles of visibility and an 800-foot cloud ceiling. And also in an audio, in audio from before, right before the crash, an air traffic controller who was helping navigate this pilot told him he was still flying too low for flight following, which means he's too low for radar to follow because of the surrounding mountains. Then that, that area, that area was heavy with deep valleys and mountains. However, we've also seen reports that the pilot was contacted by the same air, air traffic controllers to say that he had begun to climb to go above the layer of clouds present. This is right before the crash, climbed to a couple thousand feet before diving to the ground and eventually hitting the ground. But again, we do not know any uh, official cause and probably won't for some time. It looks like when you look at the debris field of this, that it was just helicopter into mountain and hopefully that nobody saw a coming and nobody felt anything and it was just an instantaneous death. Yeah, that uh, from what we've heard, the, a football sized uh, is what it's been described, uh, perimeter of area, so 100 yards in each football direction. Field, yeah. yeah, football field sized, yeah. Dozens of first responders had to either hike to get in there or some repelled in from first responder helicopters to get into that area, which was uh, near Las Virginas Road and Willow Glen Street. And, you know, firefighters, paramedics, hand crews first had to deal with a quarter acre brush fire, to your point, uh, Shannon, that, you know, that fire was burning extremely hot with magnesium. We're told by uh, the L.A. County uh, fire chief that, you know, that was harder to put out because that burns, you know, is kind of strengthened by oxygen and water. So that took longer for our fire officials to put that out. And again, that debris field was just scattered. And, and we also heard that, you know, coroner officials say it will be, they said that late last night that it'll be several days to, you know, 
finish the identification, at least positively confirm. I know we've heard from a lot of family and friends that are identifying the other seven people on, on the crash, in addition to Kobe and his, and his young daughter. But those, those official confirmations could take several, several days. Corbin, thank you. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, guys. You bet. Corbin Carson out there covering this story. We'll hear from him a little bit later. And, of course, if anything uh, develops over the course of our show, we can uh, we can talk with Corbin. A couple things about uh, about this story. There is a push now for the NBA to change its logo, that instead of Jerry West's silhouette as the logo, that they use some image of Kobe Bryant as the uh, as the silhouette. Mark Cuban said yesterday that no Dallas Mavericks player will wear 24 going forward, and there was talk that the entire league retire that number 24, which I don't think has been done across the board like that since Jackie Robinson in baseball. I'm not sure the rules also about Hall of Fame in terms of how long you have to have been out of the game before you're um, considered for a Hall of Fame uh, induction. But uh, Wednesday, I believe, is when the NBA begins their discussion about the in, this class, and they sort of make their nominations. Clearly, Kobe's name is going to, regardless of what the rules are, Kobe's name is going to be included in those discussions on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, he will be inducted as part of the 2020 Hall of Fame uh, with, I believe, Kevin Garnett, and I forget, but it's a hell of a class. Um, the other thing is, and I just checked this out because I didn't couldn't believe it. As of right now, the Lakers have not tweeted anything or made any sort of an official statement since Saturday night. I think it's telling. That just how, how difficult it is for them. Yeah. I think um, I think there's still a, a, a big degree of shock, especially when, when you were that close to him. I mean, you know, when you think about Jeannie Buss and her relationship with Kobe and making sure he retired a Laker and, and all of that. Um, it's just, it's just still too soon. I think for, for a lot of people that were closely connected to him. All right. We come back. We'll talk about this throughout the day, of course, because we may find out more information about what, uh, what developed before the crash about, uh, any investigation that goes on. And of course, any news conferences that are held uh, with any more information, we will break in and we'll carry those live. We come back though. We're going to talk about the other massive story internationally. And that is that coronavirus, probably more dangerous than anyone suspected, probably um, more contagious than anyone expected. And welcome to California. Gary and Shannon will continue. I mean, I get it because every time I go to a new city, for football, yeah. I try to eat as much as I can of whatever that city's specialty is. Sure. And in a lot of places in this country, it is barbecue. So when I look across the desk here at you and I see how much food you've put down this weekend just by how clammy you are. I'm still coming off the meat sweats. Yeah. Um, the barbecue place we went to is called Vtex Market. I think that's how you say Vtech or Bitech. And they have something called a... A Frito gut pack. <laughs> it's Fritos, corn chips, uh-huh. right? With brisket on it. Yep. And cheese and then whatever else. You know, you could add some extra sauce or some peppers on there. Gotta love pickles Texas. on the corner. Mm-hmm. My wife had a half an order. A half an order. My daughter and I split the brisket nacho or pulled pork nachos is what we had with everything on it, which includes... All the queso, 
all the sauces, all the pickles. You polished that thing off? All the peppers, all the raw onions. I made a mess. I just hope you don't make a mess in here today. I shan't. Hmm? I shan't. I hmm. shall not. Okay. That, that was the... It wasn't... <laughs> That wasn't a confession. That was me saying I shall not make a mess in here, we hope. But um, the good news is our diet this week will consist of celery juice and laxatives. Yeah, that should be a good uh, should be a good time at the Hoffman House. That's our punishment. We've got a news and brews coming up, guys. On Friday, ten to two, we will be out at HK's Bar and Grill in Rancho Cucamonga. News and brews on Friday, ten to two, HK's Bar and Grill. A um, bunch of stories going on. We have impeachment. Ken Starr is the one who uh, the man right now speaking on behalf of the president's defense team. And we'll talk more about this coming up in a few minutes. But uh, John Bolton, apparently there was a draft of a book that's coming out in the couple of months. And uh, New York Times picked up on it, said it may eat away at whatever the president's defense is. And this is the story that I think is is um, the longest lasting, perhaps, of all of these. And that is the fact that the coronavirus has now been uh, confirmed here in California. And around the world, we are finally seeing the economic impact of fear. The Dow is down currently 328 points. Stocks tanked today after more of those cases were confirmed over the weekend. It looks like there are 2,862 confirmed cases so far in China. The death toll there has risen to 81. The World Health Organization's director general is traveling to China to meet with the government and health officials. And here in this country, in the United States, a fifth case of coronavirus was confirmed over the weekend. Um, Speaking economically, airline stocks are taking it uh, pretty hard. United Delta down 4%, American down almost 6%. Gaming stocks like uh, Sands and Wynn Resorts dropped 6 and 7% uh, respectively. MGM Resorts down 3%. All of these um, uh, travel stocks, Expedia, Carnival, Marriott, all of them uh, pulled back a couple of percentage points because of the fear that this is going to have such a major impact. The concern I have about this is... We've never really looked at Chinese media and government information as being 100 percent accurate, Uh, and they're going to hold back whatever they think is going to make them look bad. We were talking uh, with Chris Ancarlo last week about it, and he was saying that, you know, China really did learn some lessons from the whole SARS outbreak, which happened in 2002, 2003, that the economic hit to China was severe enough that it was going to respond with force this time around. We don't know if this is going to be as bad as SARS. There's no evidence of that, but they're certainly treating it like it is. They erected that hospital. They're working to erect a hospital just to deal with this. They were able to put up that hospital in six days during the SARS outbreak. They're hoping to get this thing done by February 3rd. I believe, but they have shut down cities to the tune of more than 36 million people have just been completely locked down. Um, Cities the size of Chicago, Los Angeles and New York combined. Um, You'll fly through. I mean, whenever you fly in the United States, you're going to run into people who wear masks, period. I mean, airplanes can be nasty places. But uh, what I noticed yesterday in airports was a huge number of people wearing masks. Maybe incorrectly, but they were wearing masks nonetheless. How how reliable are those masks? How how much do they protect you from this? 
coronavirus. I don't know. I would think that if you had it, it's actually going to protect other people because sure. you're you're you're. I'm going to use a spittle. Spittle. Thank you. You're I was welcome. going to say sputum, and that sounded too bad, mm-hmm. so I won't say that. I'll say spittle. You, I think, do a better job of protecting other people from your spittle when you're wearing a mask than vice versa. You've gone through a lot of bodily fluids today. Oh, my gosh. It's been my weekend. It's only 1041. It, there was a guy, for example, there was a guy in the on our first flight um, leaving Thursday morning who had the most who had the moistest, most productive cough. Mm. And that's not what you want to see or hear when you're talking about coronavirus and the contagions therein. Traveling really is a, a an exercise in tolerance of other people and their outputs, isn't it? It's a good test. Whether they're talking or they're coughing and they're not covering, covering their mouths. Or they're, or they're, they're uh, ripping... They're, yeah, ripping <laughs> I can't say that, can I? No, you could. You did. Uh, but it's all, you're right. It, it is a test because you, you're jammed in oh, with people. Yeah. You got to tolerate. Just it's, a, it's an exercise in toleration. And why does the guy in the 26th row get to put his guitar in the overhead above the 12th row? Why is that? Why is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because then I can't put my bag up above my own seat. Because Jimmy, the songwriter, thinks his guitar deserves more space. Well, it's just good that Jimmy's not playing said guitar in that uh, that floating tube. He can't now. Jammed my bag in there pretty good. I heard a crack. Gary and Shannon, and we will break down what this John Bolton book synopsis could mean for the impeachment trial. Gary and Shannon will continue just a moment. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. It looks like the NTSB will be holding a media briefing today at 4 outside the uh, Lost Hills Station, Sheriff Station there, to talk about the investigation into yesterday's helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter, Gigi, and seven more people. Understand that they send a team of uh, 18, 20 people basically to an incident like this and then break them up into different teams to investigate the different aspects of uh, of the crash. Some of them looking at uh, uh, air traffic control tape. Some of them looking at uh, the actual route of the, the helicopter itself, the weather conditions, all of that stuff. So we'll, uh, we'll hear from them hopefully at about uh, 4 o'clock today. Uh, other big stories that the coronavirus is now spread to L.A. and Orange County, and there are concerns that it's bigger than what China is officially saying. We should uh, we should keep an eye on that over the next couple of days. Um, coming up a little bit later in the show, there is actually a, a a moment of silence that has been planned. We'll talk more about that as we get closer to it. But in the 12 o'clock hour, uh, one minute and eight seconds of silence uh, in honor of Kobe Bryant and the other people who were lost in that uh, helicopter crash from yesterday. Looks like John Bolton, the former national security advisor, 
has a book coming out due to be published in March. And it looks like there are some leaked claims that are in the book about what the president thought when it came to his intent on withholding aid from Ukraine in exchange for an investigation into the Bidens. So the New York Times says, um, again, we don't know where they got this because this is simply undergoing review right now by the National Security Council. So it would be it doesn't make a lot of sense that somebody from the White House or the National Security Council would leak this. Uh, I'm not sure if Bolton or any of his people would leak this. I think it would make sense that the White House would leak it. Well, it, somebody, somebody there. The, this revelation in the book is that the president said he will withhold aid to Ukraine until they investigate Joe Biden and the Biden family, right? And and since we knew at the time of the phone call back on July 25th, and while all of this was going on, we knew that Joe Biden was going to run for president, uh, that he was likely the nominee at least back then, uh, that. This is something that the president has pushed has pushed back on and even came out and said today in a tweet. I never told John Bolton that the aid to Ukraine was tied to investigations into Democrats, including the Bidens. In fact, he never complained about this at the time of his very public termination. If John Bolton said this, it was only to sell a book. They also said that Bolton had been sharing a manuscript of this book. The New York Times did with close associates and that prompted john bolton's team to deny that claim and said that the review process of these pending manuscripts is corrupted and prone to leaks because first of all one one of the things that uh president trump has said about john bolton testifying in front of the senate is he knows too much i mean he's basically he runs the risk of crossing some some national security boundaries if he is to testify And that's one of the reasons why this book has to be approved by the National Security Council before it can be published to make sure that there are no national security sensitive things that would be out there for public consumption. Senate Republicans have wavered, excuse me, on whether or not they would vote to hear witnesses um, after the defense team finishes up its opening arguments. P.S. Kenneth Starr got old. Oh, yeah. It's a completely different guy from what (laughs) I remember. Um, Anyway. So when they finish, then they decide whether or not they're going to have a chance to ask some written questions to the Trump's lawyers, as well as the House impeachment managers. Uh, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney have already indicated that they will likely vote for Bolton and other potentially other potential witnesses. Listen to what Mitt Romney said today after these revelations about John Bolton and allegedly what he says in the book came out. It's increasingly apparent that it would be important to hear from John Bolton. Uh, I, I, of course, will make a final decision on witnesses after we've heard from not only the prosecution, but also the defense. But I think at this stage, it's pretty fair to say that uh, John Bolton has a a relevant uh, testimony. I think it's uh, increasingly likely uh, that other Republicans will uh, will join those of us who think we should hear from John Bolton. You mentioned Collins and Romney. I, I think those are the two who are most likely and have said all along, basically, that they would vote for witnesses. It's the others that we have to keep an eye on. So there's two. They would need to pick up two more Republicans. Uh, to vote in favor of witnesses. And that could be Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Lamar Alexander of Tennessee, even Corey Gardner from Colorado. They would play a key role in determining whether or not there would be witnesses that are called. So uh, this is not 
this is not done by any means. And again, uh, Kenneth Starr is the one who is speaking right now, uh, arguing on behalf of the president uh, and his defense against removal from office. So um, this is one of those uh, this is one of those stories that's hard because the polls that we see and the conversations that we have outside of this have nothing to do with impeachment. You know, people are people are not watching it. People are not interested in it. I was uh, I enjoyed four days of not talking about it to anyone uh, except for one dad in uh, standing around the bear enclosure in the center of campus saying that uh, that this is an example that the media hates America. So. So back to the bears. Yeah. And the enclosure. Mm-hmm. This is at Baylor. Yeah. And these two bears are trapped on campus? No, it's technically a Class C zoo. I mean, trapped in that they can't get out because they would Did they look okay? Yeah, they they look fine. I mean, what does a bear look like? Bear looks like a bear. They just leave the bears in there, huh? Well, I mean, they care for them and study them. Do they ever get to come out? I doubt it. Maybe when, you know, their time has passed. How close can you get to the bears? Oh, you're on the other side of the glass. Mm -hmm. You You can't pet them. How do you feel about your daughter or your baby moving to Texas? Uh, not great. Yeah. That's got to be tough. But she walked right up to the president of the university, Linda Livingstone, and introduced herself to the president of the university. And it turns out they know some of the same people. Why would they know? She's 17. You're the president of the university. She was out here in California for a long time. She worked at Pepperdine for a while. But it's a anyway, it was a bizarre. And there's Dr. Pepper everywhere. You had a lot of Dr. Pepper. I did. It's a good soda choice. All right. Coming up next, Chris Ancarlo is going to join us. He was at Mamba Sports Academy in Thousand Oaks yesterday. I think that we all had a need to be together to talk about the loss of a larger-than-life Los Angeles figurehead for more than 20 years. Uh, when you think about the loss of Kobe Bryant and not to minimize the loss of everybody else who was on that helicopter. A lot of people went to the Mamba Sports Academy to be there. A lot of people went to Pelican Hill in Orange County near where they live to be there. Um, a lot of people gathering everywhere at the crash site and everything to to remember and, and be together. We'll talk to Chris when we come back to Gary and Shannon. I wonder if I'll get invited to the party. I wonder if I'll get Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. We do have a news and brews coming up on Friday. We will be out at HK's Bar and Grill in Rancho Cucamonga, 10 to 2 on Friday. Come join us. Well, there were five basketball games in full swing yesterday morning out at the Mamba Sports Academy. This is the facility that Kobe Bryant built in his quest to give more power to to girls' basketball, women's basketball, who really was making great strides in that arena. And uh, at one point, the assistant coach hands his phone to another coach and everyone starts looking around and everyone else is on their phones and then everything just stopped because that's how the news was breaking. I saw a couple of different images, people who were there at the um, 
at the uh, Sports Academy when all these games are going on. And someone had taken a picture soon after that moment happened when they stopped all the games and made an announcement in front of everybody with it looked like a couple of hundred basketball players and, and parents and everything just sitting on the court absorbing what was being said to them. We talked yesterday to a referee who was there, and he said he just fell to his knees. And then that was pretty common. That was a pretty common reaction inside that gym. Um, by noon, the uh, the players and the parents had filtered out of the Mamba Sports Academy. The tournament, uh, of course, had been canceled. Boys and girls, fourth to eighth grade. A uh, 12-year-old was among a group of friends who had been taking pictures of Kobe Saturday at the uh, at the Sports Academy and promised that he would pose for a picture if they were coming back on Sunday. And this kid, Brady, a uh, 12-year-old, said he was always much more relaxed than the other parents. Well, it's nice when you own the building. Um, he's one of the more relaxed adults in the room. You could always tell he knew what he was doing. It was just really special watching the day or watching the way he coached. He was a smart coach. Um, the, the word that I wanted, well, I wanted to hear more of yesterday was the redemptive nature of, of Kobe, you know, outside of legal issues, there was an, and reputation perhaps that he had granted. He was a hard working and probably the hardest working guy on the Lakers for, for, for decades. Well, when you have, to live in the public eye for so long from the time you're 17, some of the stuff about your reputation and who you are, some of it's earned and some of it's unearned. And, yeah. and he was no different. I think that he got a lot of flack early on for having a chip on his shoulder, a bad reputation or whatever. Well, you know, he's 17 years old. He goes straight, straight from high school to the league. You know, you're, you're playing with guys in, in their 20s and, and maybe you don't have the best relationships. You're not the guy that's going to be able to go out to the clubs with the guys and develop those relationships as quickly. And, and like you said, he was so focused on being the best and the hard work and all of that, that uh, that can also lead to people saying that you're a, an apple. I heard this discussion. I don't know how true this is, but that Kobe, clearly one of the top five basketball players of all time. And you could, depending on how big a fan you were, you could argue top three, but that Michael Jordan's always in that conversation and that he was very much like Michael Jordan in his work ethic and yes. his ability, his desire to win, his competitiveness. But that what Michael ja Jackson, Michael Jordan learned at North Carolina was that teamwork mentality, that leadership mentality that Kobe didn't have because he didn't go to college. He went straight into the NBA. It was sort of, you know, thrown to the wolves kind of thing without having that um, the nuanced characteristics of, of learning how to deal with teammates and learning how to be, because he was immediately a target. The 17-year-old kid on the floor with 26, 28, 30-year-old men, you're going to be the target. And he had to develop that thick skin. One of the things that he did is he took from uh, others different philosophies from old school basketball, new school basketball, and he really made it his own and made it special. One of the things that's been going on the past 24 hours, as you saw it, it become dark in different various cities yesterday, is lighting things up purple hmm. and gold. Yeah. Uh, Madison, Madison Square Garden did it. You can see in Houston, I saw images and footage of, of all these bridges lit up in purple and gold. 
I was driving home yesterday. I was here yesterday covering uh, the helicopter crash, and I'm driving home, and just right down the street from me, about a block from my house, was this large tree, and they had strung up purple and gold lights covering the tree, this huge tree. And it just it just gives you chills. It's just one of those things that kind of has united uh, whether a Laker fan or a Mavericks fan or whatever Celtics fans, yeah. you know, I think it's really been one of those things that that united us yesterday and kind of brought people together, unfortunately, um, in, in a way that only a severe tragedy can. And I, I also wonder if there's a if there's any sort of correlation between somebody I mean, clearly Kobe hadn't played for five years, four years, whatever it was. Um, But if somebody had been, if he had been lost in an accident while he was playing, how that would have been different. Because I I honestly feel like the identity that he developed after he left the Lakers was so much more, uh, not positive, but just in terms of a general consensus was the things that he did after he left the Lakers were all unquestionably positive. He, there were no discussions about trade clauses. There was nothing about I need a d- trade demands or or frustrations with teammates or anything like that. It was about he was developing a life for his daughters. Yes. He was a good coach. He was giving back to the community. He was becoming a man. We knew him as a player. We knew him as a fierce competitor that would do anything to win and 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 110% every day of his career. But we were finding out that he was growing up. He was maturing and like he was living for his daughters. And the tweet that he composed on Saturday night after LeBron took his spot on the leaderboard just showed that maturation maturation. Like he, he complimented him. He said, I I, I don't remember exactly the, the tweet ver, verbatim, but it was a congratulatory tweet. And the Kobe, the player, you could never see him doing that. Right. But Kobe, the man, the second act was developing into something that was so much bigger. And and all the things that he was going to do for all those kids at the Mamba Academy that he was doing for them, that he was going to continue to do, that he was he was going to continue to be this uh, inspiration for for athletes across the board and how he attacked the game. And I, I think the reason it, it hits us so hard, too, and I don't think it can be minimized, is the fact that sports figures do mean more to us as fans than an everyday celebrity. Because we live and die, that's the wrong phrasing, but we take our happinesses and our sadnesses a lot of the time from what our team does. Right. And Kobe gave people in L.A. and Lakers fans, and make no mistake about it, this is a Lakers town, so many years of happiness and feeling like they were winning because he was winning. You know, and I no, think people made, identify with that. That makes sense. But, in, you know, it comes down to sports as entertainment, right? It's good. You go there because it takes you out of whatever whatever BS you have to deal with in your daily life, you can invest in something that in, that in all honesty does not impact you or your health or your daily life or your income or anything, but you can invest in that and get, you know, you run the risk of sadness when they lose and you also get the great joy of happiness when they win or when they go to the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Um, It's different even than a celebrity like an actor or an actress. Right. You may go there also to see their product and their entertainment. But you don't identify with them. But you can't identify. Right. And you don't like when uh, when Tom Hanks is in a movie that makes $100 million in its opening weekend, 
you're not running down the middle of the street going, Tom Hanks! <laughs> Tom, you're not wearing Tom right. Hanks branded apparel. Right. I mean, you may be happy for the guy and he gave you two hours of enjoyment, but but it's it's different. I mean, the, the, the level of investment is different. My, my wife described it. Um, she's not a huge sports fan. I mean, she understands why people like it and why. But she was trying to. We were trying to come up with a name of someone who had passed away that impacted that same way that so many people appeared to be impacted yesterday. Robin Williams was the only one we could come up with because of the, the escape joy. that uh-huh. you get when you would watch a performance that he did. Yes. And you the you could just be transported away from whatever daily life problems you had. And for a couple of hours, he would take that on and turn it into something beautiful. Whereas Kobe Bryant, you know, 82 games a year, not counting playoffs and, you know, finals, 82 games a year, you could take whatever you had, good or bad, watch those games and let him help you ignore what was happening. It's interesting you came up with that because last night when I got home after doing like hours of coverage of this, I watched two stand-up specials to just forget about it for a minute. Yeah. All right. Chris and Carlo. Who was it? Uh, Anthony Giselnik. Giselnik. (laughs) Is that his name? And then Dave Chappelle. Yeah, I went to the I you went to a pretty dark corner of the comedy world. Woo. All right, all right. Yeah, Chris is going to. I needed the minutes. the hard stuff. I get it. That's like uh, that's like unfiltered cask strength whiskey. Yep. Version of stand up comedy. We share the same friends in apartment. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app in D.C. President's defense team continues its defense of President Trump in the uh, Senate impeachment trial. Ken Starr, one of the uh, one of the lawyers for the president, came out and said today, if the president is following the rules of the Department of Justice, there can be no obstruction. It's one of the basic uh, tenets of what he was saying. Currently, there's another uh, lawyer who is up and uh, giving information as well. Mike Perpura, Deputy White House Counsel, is up in front of the stand. So we'll keep an eye on the uh, on these stories coming out of uh, impeachment. We also got a thousand bucks to give away. Here's how you can win it. For your chance at a thousand bucks, text the nationwide keyword bank, B-A-N-K, to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's bank to 200-200. And remember, you got to pick up the phone. If you don't, your money moves on. It looks like this will be coming from a 513 area code. Your next chance to win next hour and every day, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. to 620 here on KFI. Talking about the Mamba Academy and Chris Ancarlo was out there uh, yesterday, joins us now to kind of talk about the scene. Yeah, guys, it was, um, you know, it was one of those interesting spots where, you are touching a tragedy in a way that is maybe more direct than people anticipated. And, you know, I mean, I was talking about this a little bit earlier with Handel, but that community has been through so much here over the last uh, 18 months. When you think about tragedy between Borderline Bar and Grill, the Wolsey fire, and then now this, and you could almost just sense there was a, a pattern to the catharsis of tragedy nearby. And in this case, people, immediately recognizing the impact that, that Kobe had had on their community and recognizing the Mamba Academy as a place to go to. So you had a lot of folks who were visiting, but then you also had people that were inside the, 
the academy that we're taking part in this uh, Mamba Cup basketball tournament. And you had them coming out flush with emotion. Again, kind of really being at ground zero of this event and trying to process things. Um, I, I unfortunately can't play the sound for you right now, but there were a number of people that I talked to that had really remarkable things to say. Starting as soon as I got there, I talked to a referee who was mid-game and one of his fellow referees came over and said, hey, listen, like we, it sounds like Kobe Bryant just died. And they had to call that game, and they ended up just stopping the tournament stopgap. And, I mean, he was still very choked up, very much in tears. It was about, probably uh, about two hours after, uh, after they found out. And then you had a number of families that were inside, you know, trying to process it not only amongst the uh, parents, but how, how do you talk to the kids about this? How do you let them know that this person who was supposed to be there and, you know, this tournament exists because of that person is no longer with us? Um, and then you had the fans that were showing up. And, there, you know, there was one guy I talked to who I, I thought it was remarkable. He's just, I mean, his arms, he's holding them out in front of him as though, you know, he's got uh, folded laundry stacked uh, all the way up to his chin. And instead of laundry, it is picture frames and it is books and it is memorabilia. Uh, that he's collected while following Kobe because literally he's followed Kobe throughout his entire life because at the top of that heap were two little baby onesie uh, Lakers jerseys, Kobe Bryant jerseys, the, the one that he came home from the hospital in and the one that he wore when he turned one years old. And uh, it, it was just phenomenal for me to look at that and recognize that his entire life has been – against the backdrop of somebody like Kobe Bryant. And he, it, because his parents were such a big fan, he became such a big fan. And so now he's processing something that seemed almost permanent against, uh, you know, this bigger backdrop. And he and his friends were there. It was, it was interesting because there were six or seven of them. And I think they pretty much started the, the makeshift memorial that was in front of the Mamba Academy. And each of them just talking about how they were processing it, but also remarking about how they just happened to be together when it happened and they knew instantaneously that this was the place that they had to go in order to process things um so the the reactions obviously you know raw like we saw at the staples center and like we saw at the crash site but also very connected to what was happening we are a weird animal in that we feel like going to a location I mean, because clearly you're not going to get to the helicopter I think it's just because we want to be together, though, when something Maybe like that happens. Yeah. Well, you know, I think about it, too. Um, and I was thinking about this analogy about, you know, a massive tragedy. It's a bit like, you know, when you're in the middle of a river, maybe – sifting for gold and you get that big piece that grabs your attention instantaneously. But as you're shifting and shaking things out, you start to see other pieces and you start to understand how those other pieces are also important and they tell a unique and different part of the, the broader story. And as they come together, you get a sharper focus of what all of this means together. And in this case, you know, it's people trying to process, but also people recognizing something that has defined their own lives that is no longer there. And yeah, I mean, for me, within minutes of this news coming out, my phone was lighting up with friends from back East and I'm from Philadelphia and, and they were asking me, Hey, is this really happening? Did they, like, is Kobe really dead? And it was uh, almost surreal to be answering those sort of texts. Kobe and I are the same age. I mean, with the high school, like five miles down the road from me, I was jealous that he took Brandy to the prom. So we all have like these weird connections to somebody 
that is as above everything that Kobe has been. Yeah, and we were talking about it earlier about how so many of us identify with athletes, with our teams, and and all the joy that he was able to bring Lakers fans and basketball fans in general for for so long, for 20 years in the league. Uh, Chris and Carlo, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Hope to talk to you later. Yeah, of course, guys. Well, speculation that the the crash was caused by fog. We're going to have an aviation specialist coming up next to talk to us about how that may be the case, but it probably could have had other contributing causes as well. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. You are the one that I want. You gave me good life from the start. You, I would do anything for you. Side on the dotted line for you. We keep it marching like one, two. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on that iHeartRadio app. President is dismissing a claim by his former national security advisor that could play a major role in his impeachment trial as patently false. John Bolton writes in his book that's coming out in March that Trump told him he wanted to withhold hundreds of millions of dollars in aid from Ukraine until it did help secure investigations into Biden. Finding out about an American military plane that crashed in uh, eastern Afghanistan. Military said there were no indications that it had been brought down by enemy fire, but spokesman for U.S. forces in Afghanistan said that the military plane of Bombardier E-11A crashed in an area that is uh, apparently run by the Taliban. Uh, it's an electronic surveillance plane, but um, at this point, no word on how many people would have been on board, but it's not a gigantic plane. I think they said less than six or fewer than six. We continue to cover yesterday's tragedy, the helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven others. Investigators from the NTSB will hold a media briefing today at 4 o'clock. But we wanted to talk to Jay Ratliff. He is an aviation expert, and he joins us now to talk about the grim investigation and the talk about the speculation that it was heavy fog that was at least partly to blame for this tragedy. Jay, thanks for taking time out for us. Appreciate it. it it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, so, you know, the information that we're getting, some of it is official, some of it is uh, speculation at this point. But what's some of your initial reactions to the information we do have about what happened yesterday? Well, I'm I'm getting a lot from eyewitness accounts, which uh, when I was on the GO team for Northwest Airlines, when we would have accidents, a lot of times you would interview two or three witnesses that were shoulder to shoulder, and they would have three completely different accounts of what took place. So a lot of times in in a trauma situation like that where there's a great deal of stress, sometimes those eyewitness accounts are a bit suspect. So I'm not saying dismiss them entirely. But many times in the early stages of an investigation, one like this that's going to go 10 to 12 months before it's finalized, a lot of times we can't put a, a great deal of weight onto those. And, of course, the fog situation is something a lot of people are calling into question, saying, should the aircraft have been flying? And, and obviously that was an indication of, of what probably was one of the causes. But keep in mind, it, it could have been anything. It could have been a mechanical situation involving that aircraft that the pilot was fighting. Uh, We could have had a situation where the pilot, uh, the lone pilot, had some sort of a medical condition where he had a heart attack, stroke, or something else that could have caused a problem with that aircraft uh, remaining airborne. Uh, We could have had a situation where a drone was in the wrong spot in the middle of the fog. We we don't know. That's simply to say that as the National Transportation Safety Board is now on the ground, uh, 19 or 20 or so that we have there, 
uh, they're going to be able uh, to start the process of collecting as much data as they can, both uh, with uh, the aircraft itself plus some of the extraneous uh, information that we have, such as the flight data recorder, where we have some indication of, of what the aircraft movement was prior to the to the crash. And they will slowly begin the process of, uh, you know, allowing the facts as they find them to dictate the course of the investigation. Let's talk about the helicopter itself, this uh, Sikorsky S-76. Is it is it mm-hmm. a pretty common uh, type of helicopter, uh, especially for something like this? I mean, private ownership, private charter kind of kind of deal? Well, initially, the aircraft, and I believe it was in the early 90s as it came out, was designed to transport individuals on and off uh, offshore uh, rigs, oil rigs. It was a very rugged aircraft that uh, was designed to operate in all kinds of, as you might expect, uh, you know, difficult weather. And uh, over the years, uh, there are many communities around the country that use this type of an aircraft as their air ambulance uh, as far as care flights. So it's it's a very dependable, very rugged type aircraft. And, of course, you have people that use it as a luxury aircraft where they they use it uh, as uh, Kobe did, as as so many others do, uh, where it's basically kind of a corporate Uber, if you will, that, uh, you know, it's it's like many of us would have a minivan in the driveway. It's just a, a helicopter that was used. Uh, for the sake of convenience, uh, to get them from point A to point B, it's a it's a very rugged aircraft. It has a, a great deal of high tech, uh, modern equipment to it. Uh, as I understand it, this particular uh, helicopter is delivered with an avionics package, which includes a cockpit voice recorder. Now, I have not received confirmation on whether or not there is one from the people that I've been talking to close to the investigation. But if this has a cockpit voice recorder. Uh, then we would at least be able to have the investigators hear what was going on at the moments leading up through the flight towards the crash, any alarms that might be sounding, any discussions that were ongoing uh, in the uh, cockpit area of that aircraft. So hopefully that's the case because that sort of information, if they can glean from that any data at all, it would certainly assist the investigation. What does the data tell you that the data that the helicopter was descending at a rate of 4,000 feet per minute and at a rate of 184 miles per hour, what does that say? Well, it, it says that when you have that kind of limited visibility with that kind of speed, it makes me think that it's something beyond just uh, you know a, a situation of someone losing their way in the uh, in the clouds. It, it could be that we're back to dealing with some sort of a mechanical situation or something else uh, that caused that rapid uh, descent and uh, that uh, not accelerated speed, but that speed. And, and some of the eyewitness accounts that I've been reviewing over the last 24 hours talk about an aircraft that's hovering here or there and then moments later uh, crashing, well, that really doesn't fit with the narrative of the data that we have that suggests that that aircraft was at the last moment uh, traveling at a great uh, deal of speed. So that's one of the reasons that this investigation is going to take uh, a a long period of time. We have the press, of course, uh, pushing for answers, hoping that within the next few days we're going to get some sort of an indication of what the cause might be. But uh, the reason that we are enjoying the safest era ever of commercial jet travel here in the United States, you got to go back to, what, February of 2009 since our last commercial jet crash, is because of the National Transportation Safety Board. Uh, those all-stars are incredible at investigating, finding out what happened, and then coming out of that with a list of recommendations to the Federal Aviation Administration on how we can make commercial aviation, or in this case, private uh, general aviation, uh, safer. And we certainly owe it to the lives of those that were on board that aircraft uh, to find out what happens so we can reduce the likelihood of it ever happening again. Jay, is it your opinion that we're going to find the answers 
in the electronic evidence that we have or the physical evidence on the ground from the helicopter? Or is it too early to even answer that? I'm going to say they're going to get it from both. Uh, I can't give you a percentage as far as what it would be. Uh, I can tell you that one of my initial concerns that turned out to fortunately be baseless was where this particular uh, crash took place, it was not in a populated area because one of the things that always concerns us from an investigative standpoint is that there's individuals that unfortunately go and collect souvenirs, parts of the aircraft. And uh, they did a good job yesterday of containing the area so that we didn't have any of that because obviously uh, that type of thing, if someone left with a critical piece as small as it might have been, it could have really impeded the investigation. So at this point in time, they're doing everything that they need to be doing. And uh, some people ask me about the FBI presence early on. But, look, anytime you have an accident like that, one of the things that's a procedural situation is we need to determine whether or not there was any foul play involved or any sort of a terrorist-type situation. And many times those are dismissed pretty quick. But it's protocol. That's what happens. And uh, they stand down and everything turns over to the National Transportation Safety Board and they kind of take it from there. Jay Ratliff, appreciate your time. Aviation expert, really great information. Well, my pleasure. Hopefully next time a, a much happier topic. Let's yeah. Yes, we'll definitely choose that. That's for sure. Uh, all right. Speaking of the FBI, apparently the FBI has been trying to sit down with Prince Andrew. As Uh-oh. part of their Jeffrey Epstein investigation. You know what is never good is when the FBI is on the horn and they want to sit down with you. Hey, just want to ask you a couple of quick questions. Gary kind and of a Shannon. A couple of agents stop by your house in a big black SUV with giant guns under their jackets. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now. A low interest rate on everyday purchases and place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest interest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed and together they can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit PenFed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. I don't have that alert on my phone, Blake. Yeah, I saw it from uh, ESPN, I believe. Jay Glazer, huh? Yeah, and he's usually pretty good. Jay Glazer saying the Los Angeles Chargers have moved on from Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers set to become a free agent in March. 16 years with the team. It's not shocking, um, but it is still, I mean, it's been talked about. It's been speculated about since the end of the season. Hell, even before the season ended. But it's still one of those. It's an odd odd, way to come about the end. mm -hmm. Uh, I think there'd be a little bit more. Wow. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. We'll do our uh, trending stories coming up at the top of the hour and uh, sort of a, a citywide, we understand, a moment of silence uh, on behalf of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and the seven other people who were killed in that helicopter crash 
uh, yesterday out in the hills just above Calabasas. So we'll we'll talk about that. Um, stocks are down. Stocks have been down about 300 points most of the day today. They opened down 500, uh, but were able to gain some back. This, of course, in uh, in fear, I suppose, of the virus that has been threatening to uh, take a chunk out of the global economy. Gold prices are up. Airlines, resorts, and other companies that revile, uh, re- rely on travel and tourism have been uh, taking it down. Uh, have been taking it in most in the stock market today. Well, Prince Andrew, not out of the woods yet when it comes to the criminal investigation into Jeffrey Epstein's co-conspirators. Federal prosecutors in New York, along with the FBI, want to interview Prince Andrew. The Southern District of New York and the FBI have contacted Prince Andrew's attorneys. And to date, Prince Andrew has provided zero cooperation. (laughs) That is not good. Um the uh, Jeffrey Berman said he publicly offered, indeed, in a press release to cooperate with law enforcement investigating the crimes committed by Jeffrey Epstein and his co-conspirators. But at this point, they haven't uh, he hasn't made himself available for an interview. Now, they have not exactly said what they want to know from Prince Andrew. They haven't said, here's what we'd like to ask him about, whether it was specific people, specific timelines, anything like that. They just want to get Prince Andrew behind a closed door, offer him a soda, and then never allow him to leave the room. That's my impression. If you believe that he did nothing wrong because he's maintained he did nothing wrong, then why wouldn't he sit down with the FBI? Hold on. You, as a defense attorney, should know that you're not going to voluntarily – you're not just going to walk in. That's true. Right. You, you, sometime defense attorney Shannon, would say to him, but well, you know what? Let's pump the brakes on just throwing yourself at the mercy of the uh, U.S. judicial system. Optics be damned because the optics don't look good here. Yeah. He acknowledged in November during that terrible interview with the BBC that he let the side down, simple as that, when he stayed at Epstein's New York mansion after Epstein had been convicted of sex crimes. Remember, he said it was unbecoming. He said, I kick myself for it on a daily basis because it was not something that was becoming of a member of the royal family and that we try and uphold the um highest standards and practices. Now, Epstein, of course has been investigated on a state level and a federal level since the mid-2000s for recruiting underage girls for sex rings with some of the most powerful people in the world. He ended up serving 13 months of an 18-month term on basically house arrest for two minor charges after avoiding federal charges involving allegations of abuse by nearly three dozen girls, uh, argued for and arranged for by two of the guys that are pleading the president's case on Capitol Hill. So what's the other story in uh, Alan Dershowitz? What's the other story that we've been talking about with the Royals? Megan and Harry. Right. Leaving. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know if this had anything to do with that. Oh, no, I think it had more to do with the press and its unfair, crazy behavior Treatment towards against Megan. Yes. Megan, yeah. right? But why wouldn't that have come about beforehand? I mean, they've been married for a couple of years now. I think and it was just getting. And... I think it was just getting to be so much. It was snowballing. It was becoming Princess Diana crazed paparazzi type coverage. Well, I like my idea better. That they just got fed up with the fact that the the royal family had this monster living with them, and they did nothing to boot him out. I mean, granted, 
the queen did, you know, canceled his big birthday party, which you're a grown ass man. And then second, uh, stripped him of any sort of public duties that were going on. But I wonder if there was more. I, I would be um, I'd be curious to know if there was more to it than that. If, if for some reason Harry and Meghan saw his uncle as a uh, as an absolute monster. So anyway. Well, we will continue our coverage of the investigation as it continues into the helicopter crash yesterday that really stopped the world. Um, I think this was not just a huge monumental story for Los Angeles, but with the with the NBA being what it is, and I think probably globally the most popular sport, this really hit hard everywhere. Uh, Kobe Bryant, of course, his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, killed just two of the nine people who died in this helicopter crash. We also learned that John Altabelli was on board, college baseball coach there at Orange Coast College, worked there for 27 years, quite the mentor to players. Just the things that are coming out about John are just incredible. And it was his wife and daughter also on on the plane. His wife, Carrie, and his daughter, Alyssa. The, and they have two other kids, guys. Uh, that's that's what I think is particularly heartbreaking about that is this is that just about everyone here leaves behind a partial family. Right. You know, right. Uh, in that case, like you said, John and Carrie have Alyssa, of course, but they also had other kids, Kobe. Uh, obviously with his 13-year-old daughter, but he had three other daughters and his wife, Vanessa, of course. Christina Mauser was on board. She's a high school girls coach. She was a, a, a wife and a mom to three kids. Her husband was interviewed on the Today Show, and he said, I got three small kids, and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate life with three kids and no mom. Uh, Ara Zaboyan, a pilot uh, described as a guy who knew exactly what he was doing, qualified to fly in bad weather like fog. Friends said that he was not one to make mistakes. Um, the other thing about John Altabelli, um, the the baseball coach at OCC, apparently some of the major league players that uh, current major league players all knew him because he had uh, been coaching also in the Cape Cod League for some time. And a lot of great baseball players have gone through the Cape Cod League during the summers. So when he wasn't coaching at Orange Coast College, he was there. And you're right, just partial families left behind. And I don't know how you do that. We're, we'll talk more about this, but uh, right now we're going to join other radio stations with a moment of silence. My heart's just been broken. I just still can't believe it. Not not Kobe. I mean, we literally just saw Kobe Bryant sitting courtside. I just don't understand how someone who has so much to give and a great family loved his daughter. And to know he's not going to be around and one of them is not going to be with him. The news is just devastating to everybody. We've known him a long time. Kobe, my thoughts are with you. Absolutely. Rest in peace, young man. Please join us in a moment of silence in honor of number 24, Kobe Bryant.
yesterday we used to rock the show. I laced the track, you locked the flow. So far from hanging on the block to dope. Notorious, they got to know that. Life ain't always what it seemed to be. Words can't express what you mean to me. Even though you're gone, we still a team. Through your family, I'll fulfill your dreams. In the future, can't wait to see. If you open up the gates for me, reminisce sometime. The night they took my friend. Try to black it out, but it plays again. When it's real, feeling's hard to conceal. Can't imagine all the pain I feel. Give anything to hear half the breath. I know you're still living your life after death. is going to take some time uh, today not any easier than than yesterday was and you just you just can't imagine what it's like for the families affected and all the lives that have been affected by the nine lost yesterday in that helicopter crash yeah and I, I whenever somebody famous dies. I mean, Kobe Bryant, the most famous in that helicopter, and his daughter, of course. Um, there is a, a certain heartache, I think, that people have for the, you know, the seven others in the crash. I mean, that's how, unfortunately, how that's how they're described a lot of times. But obviously for Sarah and Peyton Chester's family, it's not the seven others. It's Sarah and Peyton Chester, you know, and, and for Christina Mauser. She's not one of the others. She's Christina Mauser. I mean, that to, to me, that's almost a, uh, you know, a sad side note to the fact that someone else, someone famous in that same crash lost their life. The magnitude of the tragedy is really hard to get your mind around because not only are you talking about kids dying, you're talking about moms dying, and then you're talking about a superstar dying. And it's such a sudden and tragic way to go. And right in our backyard, there's just so many levels of tragedy that this thing hits on. And like I said, it's just it's going to be a lot of time. We're going to revisit more of this in uh, in a few minutes. We'll also get into it again in the uh, in the one o'clock hours. We try to figure all this out. The NTSB, of course, has a news conference scheduled for four o'clock today where they might have at least some preliminary information about what happened. But. You're listening to KFI and KOST HD2 Los Angeles. What else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, you talked about this last hour. It looks like the petition to change the NBA logo to honor Kobe Bryant has more than 300,000 signatures. This would be to have his likeness in the NBA logo. Right now, I don't know how many people, I'm sure a lot of people do know it, but the, right now it's uh, the great Jerry West uh, just dribbling the ball. And you could find probably hundreds of thousands, if not a couple million different images of Kobe Bryant that you could use uh, his silhouette in that same logo. Um, this is 
I don't know if this happens, but this is not the end of it. I mean, right now it says it's over three hundred thousand signatures. You're gonna have you're gonna have thirty million signatures by the time that is done. There are gonna be a lot of different tributes, a lot of different ways the league and specific teams honor Kobe Bryant's life. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban saying yesterday that no Mavericks player will again wear number twenty four. And tomorrow night is going to you know we've mentioned this before the Lakers. We're now 24, 27 hours past the time of this crash when we were first started getting word that it was Kobe who was uh, involved in the accident. The Lakers haven't said anything. There's no tweet. There's no official statement from the team. I think from, it's telling. Family. I think it's telling about how hurt the organization remains. And that's how people described hearing this news. It, it, it physically hurt. You know, it made you feel sick made you feel nauseous because it's just so sudden and so tragic on so many levels. And tomorrow night is their first is the Lakers first game since this. So you could we'll see, see how it goes. You could see LeBron when they landed yesterday after that two week oh, yeah. uh, trip and he just had his hoodie up. He had Kleenex. You could tell he was visibly crying. Um, and uh, the night it's just the morning after uh, he had taken Kobe's spot on that leaderboard and third all time scoring. Well, uh, the coronavirus story is that, uh, at least according to the United, to the uh, Centers for Disease Control, the coronavirus is not spreading in the United States. The 110 people from 26 states are being investigated to determine whether or not they have coronavirus. But as of this point, only five people have tested positive. The remaining test results are pending. So I suppose that's good news. But if it's spreading in China at, uh, at just an absolute wildfire rate which we have to assume it is just for the safety of everyone involved uh there is a chance that it could how about this what if this thing gets into the uh into our homeless populations in southern california like the typhus yeah but i mean this is a a legit current very problematic disease uh, that could that could wipe out people Well, John Bolton is back in the news because apparently he's got a book and it's due out in March. And the manuscript basically says that Trump explicitly linked a hold on Ukraine aid to that investigation of the Bidens. This may mean that Republicans are more likely to call witnesses in this impeachment trial after the defense team is done making its case and they get to write their questions and maybe talk about whether there will be a vote on calling witnesses. The president tweeted today, I never told John Bolton that the aid to Ukraine was tied to investigations into Democrats, including the Bidens. In fact, he never complained about this at the time of his very public termination. If John Bolton said this, it was only to sell a book. There is one uh, one school of thought that one of the reasons John Bolton, John Bolton would want to testify is to wipe away any suggestion that he only included that line to sell books. So, which is kind of a weird backwards, very 2020 version as to why you would want to testify in front of the Senate. Well, and how many books does it sell if that's your sexy nugget and we already know it? Uh, Also, John Bolton doesn't come across as a frivolous man who would put things in a book to sell it. Yeah, I mean, we sat down with him and he did not seem to have that character. no. He wasn't a very wacky guy. No. The joke about him coming in second place in the mustache competition fell, fell pretty flat. I don't yeah, I don't know why you floated that one. 
The other nothing th- about that man said. Tell me a joke. The other thing about uh, <laughs> about those four witnesses, John Bolton being one of them, Mick Mulvaney another, and then a couple of other witnesses that Democrats have said they want to call in this Senate impeachment trial. These are not, you know, wild-eyed, left-leaning people. They're not crazy, never-Trumpers. John Bolton is not a never-Trumper, although Democrats are admit they are not quite sure what they what John Bolton would say. They think they know what he would say uh, when asked certain questions. Well, it looks like we have a U.S. military aircraft that has crashed in central Afghanistan. Um, no information about injuries, casualties. No indications the crash was caused by enemy fire. Video taken by the AP showed an Afghan military convoy shadowed by a U.S. military helicopter heading to the site of the crash. It's said to have gone down in a Taliban stronghold just south of Kabul. Uh, And then finally, this story, Nick, for some reason, belongs to a bubble wrap news group. Which I don't know if they still do those things. You know, I've heard a lot of priest abuse stories in the past 10 years or so. Many, many, many stories. This is a new one. This Rev- is a new take. The Reverend Brian Stanley had to appear in court two months after pleading guilty in a deal with the attorney general's office. Originally charged with false imprisonment, accused of wrapping a boy in bubble wrap in tape, uh, bubble wrap and tape in 2013 in a janitor's room. The boy's eyes and mouth were also covered while he was left alone for an hour. The reverend was supposed to be counseling the boy. Bubble wrap, huh? According to the attorney general's office, the reverend Stanley's conduct was sexually motivated and he will be placed on a public registry for 15 years. Um, according to the attorney, though, there's a big dispute about that. There's no evidence about it. I object to Father Stanley being placed on the registry all oh, under the statute. It's required regardless of whether sex, criminal sexual conduct is alleged or not. Wrapping a boy in bubble wrap in the janitor's room at St. Margaret's. The boy's eyes and mouth were also covered, and he was left alone for an hour. Entire hour. How does that conversation go? How was, uh, how was church today, Bobby? Well, the strangest thing happened. You guys know the Reverend Stanley, right? <clears throat> All right. A weird world. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue. We have a thousand bucks we're going to give away. We'll tell you how you can win it coming up. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app this Monday, January 27th. Republican uh, Susan Collins of Maine says the reports about John Bolton's book strengthened the case for witnesses at the impeachment trial in the Senate. 
We will be going live to Capitol Hill coming up in Swamp Watch to get an update about what that book and the effects it may have on the, the trial. Ongoing fears about the coronavirus have hit the markets, the stock markets. Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, was down about 400 points earlier. Right now it's down 378, it looks like. People are uh, pulling money out of uh, tourism, airlines, etc. And then a U.S. prosecutor that's overseeing the Jeffrey Epstein sex trafficking investigation says they have asked Britain's Prince Andrew for an interview and that he has been uncooperative. Speaking at a news conference outside of Jeffrey Epstein's mansion, the top federal prosecutor said prosecutors in the FBI have contacted Prince Andrew's lawyers and asked to interview him. But so far, they're not getting a call back. We've got your chance at $1,000. For your chance at 1000 bucks, text the nationwide keyword TALK, T-A-L-K, to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's TALK to 200-200. If you win, they'll contact you by phone. So winners answer the phone, losers don't. Losers will uh, lose the opportunity to win that 1000 bucks. But, hey, there's another chance an hour from now. And every hour, 20 minutes after the hour, we give away 1000 bucks here on KFI between 520 in the morning and 620 at night. Well, the L.A. County Coroner's Office now says it has recovered the remains of three people who died in yesterday's helicopter crash in Calabasas. It killed Kobe Bryant and his daughter and seven more people of several families now fractured. Uh, the coroner's team had to suspend its efforts last night due to darkness, but efforts have now begun again to recover the bodies of the remaining victims. The three bodies recovered yesterday have been taken to the coroner's office. No official identifications have been released. There are will be plenty of discussion um, later today. As a matter of fact, the National Transportation Safety Board, I think at four o'clock, is scheduled to hold an update on how they're going to go about the process. They're they're nowhere near close enough to explain maybe what brought that helicopter down yesterday. Um, but there is a news conference scheduled for four o'clock. One of the issues that they'll talk about is, of course, the flight path that this helicopter t- took, taking off from Santa Ana, coming up into this area and circling around Glendale. Uh, and there were questions yesterday as to why that why that happened six times around the zoo. Well, it turns out they were waiting for other air traffic. I think at Burbank Airport, as a, uh, specifically, they were waiting for a plane that had, for some reason, had to scrub a landing and go around and come back and make another landing. So they had to stay. The helicopter had to stay out of the area that that plane may be operating in. And then when they were finally gl- given clearance, they just kind of traced up I-5 and then across uh, the 134 out towards where it changes to the 101 towards Calabasas before it was lost. You could see litigation connected with this tragedy. Um, It's pretty telling and of note that local police agencies, the LAPD, had grounded its helicopters because of the fog. So, you know, they're going to take a look at and it's why this investigation could last a year um, in the news today that it could last a year. They're going to look at the the pilot, at the air traffic controllers, at the helicopter manufacturer, all of that a detailed examination of all that evidence. Because why was that helicopter given the OK when the LAPD felt like it wasn't safe enough. Yeah, and and part of this is going to be 
you know, the, the criteria that are used for by air traffic controllers to give somebody special permission to fly in conditions like that. This guy, uh, Aero Zab- Era Zaboyan, the pilot, was a commercial helicopter pli- pilot, a certified flight instructor, knew what he was doing. According to the FAA, he'd been flying aircraft, whether it's helicopters and airplanes or just helicopters, around Southern California for 20 years. Um, worked as an instructor for Group 3 Aviation in Van Nuys. So you would imagine if he's based in Van Nuys, or at least the the, comp- the school is, he knows a lot about the terrain, the different weather conditions, etc. The company has posted photos of several of the students that he has trained to fly helicopters over the course of these last few years. And the idea that it was simply weather doesn't seem to make sense no. at least based on this guy's you know this guy's resume when it comes to being a pilot and an instructor for as long as he was he did get special permission to fly in the fog minutes before the crash there was air traffic control audio that uh does have a portion where the controller talks to the pilot about clearance for special visual flight rules or vfr and again he was uh, instrument rated so he was able to to have this special permission and that was at 1,500. That was the altitude. And then seconds later, you can hear a different traffic controller taking over and indicating that the aircraft is flying too low for the tower to monitor it. And then there's no response. And seconds later, the crash happens. Uh, the likelihood, like I said, the likelihood that it was just weather in, I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, if this guy is... Well, our is, aviation specialist said it didn't make sense either. It would be more likely that it was something like potentially a mechanical issue or even a, a health issue on the pilot's part as a, I think he's 50 years old. Sure, he could have had a heart attack or something that went wrong. The other thing that we don't know yet is whether or not there was a radio, uh, a mayday call at all. And we've seen in other instances, if something goes wrong right away... Pilots are trained to fix the problem before they call for a mayday. I mean, their attention should be, number one, to fix the problem. And if they have time, to call for a mayday. Um, so it's it's still not clear anything that's um, that's been done. I want to say that I noticed yesterday, you and Conway, when you were on, one of the hardest things to hear was when the Denver Nuggets public address announcer made the announcement to the crowd that Kobe Bryant had been killed in, a, in an uh, accident. And you could hear his sort of, voice shaking. Yeah, you could yeah. hear his voice shaking. Everybody we spoke with yesterday, it was the same thing. People were having a really hard time speaking about this. And you think you're okay. And it's, you know, it, it, there were so many posts from people who said that today was the first day I cried for somebody I've never met. Hmm. That we lost somebody I've never met and I cried. And and I think once people started trying to talk about it, they realized how difficult it was going to be. Just again, because of the enormity of the tragedy. It wasn't just Kobe Bryant who was suddenly killed at 41 years old when he was just beginning the next chapter. Little girls died, you know, moms left behind multiple children. Yeah, I would. You would almost imagine a celebrity death, a sudden a celebrity death, is always somebody's drunk and they drive off a cliff off a of Mulholland, or you know, yeah. some fight that ends in gunfire, overdose, stupid stuff, right? 
this guy's being a good father. He you went know, to church yesterday morning before they left. He's going to coach his little girl who fell in love with the game of basketball just as much as he did. His first daughter, she didn't care really much about basketball, but this one loved the game. And she was coming into her own as he was leaving the league, you know. So in a sense, he had found basketball through her again. Just last month, according to uh, papers uh, and some lawyers, he had trademarked the name Mambasita for her. Yeah. And for whatever sports what wear company her. would, you know, would come out of her success. Yeah. So. All right, uh, we come back. We're going to change, change topics a little bit. We're going to be talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. Currently, Jane Raskin, one of the president's defense team, is up in front of the Senate in front of the uh, impeachment trial. We're going to be talking with Inez de la Cutera about the new revelations, apparently, that come out of a manuscript from John Bolton's future book, what that impact that's going to have on the impeachment trial. Gary and Shannon. Funny how you treat me like I'm new to this I've been moving like I got a movie to script Yeah, lifestyle of my heart is a souvenir Around the world, leaving parts till it's hard to feel love I fear to fall off, got problems Won't cut costs, you know it's on us My full love is spent the night See, we couldn't do that that stuff did not fly. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Coming up at 1 o'clock, we're going to talk again with Corbin Carson. The recovery efforts after the helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant continue. They have recovered, they say, three bodies. But it's going to be several days before they uh, can clear that site, make sure that they recover all the bodies, and then investigators going through looking at the mechanics of the helicopter itself. See if they can figure out why it crashed. Also, the Grammys last night at Staples Center, the house that Kobe built, it was pretty cathartic to watch some of the Grammys. I wasn't going to tune in, but they did a really nice job of paying tribute to Kobe and, and the crash victims. And while there are thousands of people inside Staples Center, there were thousands of people outside Staples Center, yeah. which was an odd, an odd image, I think, to... Um, to have been going on. But anyway, we'll talk more about that coming up next hour. Busy day on Capitol Hill as the president's defense presents its case. The president denying this story about John Bolton. It's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Inez De La Cutera with ABC News with KFI on Capitol Hill talking about all of this. Inez, let's talk about this book, at least the manuscript for the book, that uh, John Bolton apparently made this uh, suggestion uh, that would undercut a defense argument when it comes to the president and the deals with Ukraine. What's going on? Hey, guys, so we saw we saw Trump's team resuming its opening arguments. We heard from Jay Sekulow and Ken Starr. We already heard from some of the president's lawyers over the weekend 
on Saturday. And their main argument was that there was no evidence anywhere that President Trump linked security assistance to Ukraine to investigations into his political opponents. So essentially this idea that the president himself was not directly involved and that everything we were hearing here about here was speculation. We heard them, them make that argument over the weekend. We heard them make that argument again today. In fact, one of the first things Jay Sekulow said was we do not deal with speculation or allegations. Of course, it's becoming much harder for them to make that argument today because hanging over these proceedings is what we found out about yesterday from the New York Times. So this new bombshell from John Bull who says the president did explicitly tell him in August that he wanted to withhold aid to Ukraine to pressure Ukraine to investigate his political opponents. So that has really changed the calculus here. We were expecting things to wrap up pretty quickly. We thought Republicans had the votes to be able to conclude the trial without hearing uh, from witnesses and that they'd be able to quickly acquit the president. But because of this new revelation from John Bolton, it's likely that that, that might change. Where is this leak coming from? The timing of it seems to be uh, quite advantageous. <laughs> yeah, so we're not exactly sure. We did hear from John Bolton's team uh, who denies that there was any coordination with the New York Times. John Bolton is being accused by some or, you know, the president's uh, allies of, of trying to boost his book sales. But the, the Bolton team defends that. Um, we're not we're not exactly sure where the leak to the Times came from. Can you tell me the timeline, um, the the conversation you mentioned in August compared to when we found out about whistleblower, when we found out about the House opening their impeachment inquiry and John Bolton's resignation slash termination? Right. The timing is also something that's interesting. So we found out that John Bolton, this conversation that uh, John Bolton talks about that he says he had with the president in which President Trump directly told him that he wanted to tie these investigations into his political opponents uh, into to to that military aid that was supposed to be given to Ukraine. That took place in August. And of course, uh, impeachment proceedings began to unfold in September. There were also, you know, if you tie in the the um, the timing of when that aid to Ukraine was was eventually released was right before, right when Congress found out that it was being withheld and began investigating that aid to Ukraine being withheld. Um, so the timing there also interesting. It was right before all these impeachment proceedings that President Trump told uh, John Bolton about this. And then how will this play out? Uh, the defense team wraps up and then they have written questions. And then would there be a vote on witnesses or how does it work? Yeah, so they're going to have a vote on witnesses. The defense team is going to take probably a couple days to wrap up uh, their arguments. Then lawmakers will get to question both the prosecution and um, and the defense. And then after that, they will take a vote on these witnesses. We are starting to hear from some moderate Republicans uh, that they are, are open to hearing from witnesses. Mitt Romney is doubling down on, on his calls to hear from people like John Bolton. We heard from uh, Susan Collins this morning, who said that this John Bolton book strengthens the case for witnesses. Um, We also heard from Lisa Murkowski. She says she's curious about what Bolton might have to say. It'll be interesting to see if these uh, moderate Republicans start to call for witnesses to, uh, to to be part of the trial. If all Democrats vote for witnesses to be part of the trial, just four Republicans are needed um, for, for that measure to pass. Wow. All right. Well, I know your job's getting more and more boring by the day. So thank you for <laughs> still taking time for us. Inez, thank you. Thanks, guys. And as De La Cutera there on Capitol Hill with the latest on what's going on with the impeachment and uh, John Bolton's book, et cetera. So. All right. We will check in and see how the Democrats are doing as they try to fight each other to win that nomination. Check Lucky in. Them.
We're just a few days away. We're a week away from the Iowa caucus. Oh, Iowa caucus. Can't wait. That's not that's not the right face to make when you're talking about that. You should be happy. Really? I don't know. If I'm at a place in my life where the Iowa caucus makes me happy, I've got some self-reflection to do. We do have a News and Brews coming up this Friday. The last News and Brews before the Iowa caucuses. <laughs> Uh, this Friday, we're going to be live at HK's Bar and Grill in Rancho Cucamonga. We'd love to see you out there doing the show live, of course. When is it, Victor? It's between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. You can find all the information, location, address, all that stuff on social media at Gary and Shannon or on the website at KFIAM640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon. We can't wait to see Harold and uh, see everybody out there at HK's Bar and Grill. And uh, they'll have specials out there for when you come on out for some lunch or a beer or beer and a lunch or just beer. Gary and Shannon. I woke up from another ending dream. I shut my eyes at 17. Y'all drive safe. Y'all just have a good time. I know. Enjoy your stay. Anytime I go anywhere else, I'm like, that's my big takeaway. Everyone was so nice. It just makes me sad about Los Angeles if that's my takeaway literally in every other city. And I'm including places like Jacksonville. Um, the Dow is down 458 points. Dow! The Dow is down. This is all about worries. Uh, what the hell's going on in China? We don't know much because, well, it's going on in China with this coronavirus that has really taken off. It looks like now more than 2,600, 2,800 people have been sickened with this thing. Death toll up to 81. And how will it affect the markets, the Asian markets, global markets, a lot of airline stocks are down right now. We've been watching, uh, of course, the fallout from yesterday's helicopter accident that killed Kobe Bryant, his daughter, seven other people, including longtime baseball coach at Orange Coast College. Um, we'll talk more about it in the one o'clock hour. We've, you know, y- this morning driving in, listening to uh, Fred Rogan, Rodney yeah. Pete. Vic the Brick, talk about it. They, you know, were taking calls from people and sharing their own stories of having been here for so long and having known Kobe in different capacities. Um, I found a blog post from a guy who used to work with us and down there, down the hall, um, who as a college kid, like trying to break into sports media, got up the guts to ask Kobe Bryant for an interview at one point. And he's, you know, he's interviewing for a job down the hall at KLAC. And David walks up to Kobe at a non-basketball event. I think it was a concert or something like that. And he, hey, uh, Mr. Bryant, uh, would you mind uh, do a quick interview with a starving college student trying to break into the business? And he says, yeah, who are you with? And he says, "Uh, I'm with AM570. And Kobe said, nah, it's okay. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Of course, I'll do an interview with you. And then gave him, you know, 10-minute interview, which is like if you're a college kid trying to break in and you get the biggest interview with arguably the biggest sports celebrity at the moment. I've covered sports for a long time, and I have been in some locker rooms where there are some big, big stars, and they are not all like that. In fact, the converse is true. Yeah, most of the Uh, time. Most of the time, they the the biggest stars they will not. They don't even want to ask the the best journalists answer the the best journalist questions. I'm going to sit down with it with you Mm -hmm. for 
when you're when you're just a just a kid. I mean, I remember not naming athletes' names, but I remember having an interview scheduled with a big, massive, huge Lakers star, waiting for him for three hours because he was late, and then him brushing me off when he got there. So that story means a lot. You're so hot on Iowa caucus news. Yeah, bring it. That I will I have cultivated some caucus news specially for you. Okay. The president's re-election campaign. Hot caucus talkus. Hot caucus takes. <laughs> yes. It does feel good to laugh, I will say that. The president. The president's re-election campaign is going to have an unprecedented surrogate operation. There are going to be more than 80 supporters fanning out across Iowa on the day of the kickoff caucuses, February 3rd. We're talking Mick Volvaney, much of Trump's cabinet, Commerce Secretary, Education Secretary, Interior Secretary. All of the secretaries are just going to be fanned out. Why? Blanketing Iowa. Seems like an odd. Do they need them? Kevin McCarthy is going to be out there. Trump's family will be out there. That I understand. Uh, just... the, state, the announcement was uh, this will be the strongest, best funded and most organized presidential campaign in history. We are putting the Democrats on notice. Good luck trying to keep up with this formidable reelection machine. Show its muscle right there, right on the kickoff caucus day. <laughs> Senator Sanders, Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, has opened up a lead just uh, with a week to go, according to a new poll from New York Times and Siena College of likely caucus goers. Wear that sign around your neck. I am a likely caucus goer. Mm. Uh, Bernie Sanders is at 25 percent. Pete Buttigieg, 18 percent. Joe Biden, 17. Elizabeth Warren, 15 and then Amy Klobuchar still coming in at 8%. I am more surprised at her 8% than I am anybody else's percentage. She's been surging because she is pretty level-headed when it comes to to her policies. She and Biden, I guess, are probably the most moderate and maybe boot edge edge. Um, Blake, uh, Gary's really hot on this caucus stuff. Can we build like a hot caucus talk desk? That's probably not. I'm a good not idea. supposed to use those websites. That's a good point. I think if you typed in hot caucus to the, the I'll internets, do it right now. Oh boy. Do it right now. <clears throat> I get your mind out of the gutter. G- I'm talking about democracy and America mm-hmm. and our forefathers mm-hmm. and the framers of the Constitution. Just I think if, if I put that if, into the search bar, I'd still get something. Yeah. How do you spell if, caucus? If Chuck Connors comes up. Spell it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sound it go. out. I got it. Hot caucus. Spell it out. Hot caucus. <laughs> when... Oh, man. So. Was I right? Okay, so Bing apparently. Why using will... Bing? Who uses Bing? I know. It got programmed into this. Shame. I know. I'm a monster. I'm a freaking monster. But listen, they they rebooted this computer and it gave me Bing. Anyway, so I put in Hot Caucus and all the images that come up are like scattered. They're like uh, pixelated. Pixelated. Oh. Sounds right. Really? Mm-hmm. Because then it says these images contain adult content. Told you. 
Image, she said okay, I'm going to click, click on, on this. Images oh! Of my... Tell me what happened. No, there's nothing there. Oh, there's nothing there? No. Oh, it's literally caucuses. caucuses. <laughs> I want the desk, Blake. Lame. All right. All right. Coming back. Corbin Carson is going to join us. The latest on the, the death of uh, of Kobe Bryant in that helicopter crash from yesterday. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. I'll let you a little too close for comfort. I'll let you a little too close to me. I'll let you underneath the covers. If you come and don't you leave. Love me like you mean it. Touch me like you mean it. Love me like you got something to prove. Say it like you feel Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Heavy hearts for another day in Los Angeles, and this is going to take quite some time to get over, if ever. Uh, This is a tragedy on so many levels. Children's lives were lost. Mothers were lost to their kids. And... Kobe Bryant and his daughter also on board the helicopter that went down yesterday. They were en route from Orange County to a basketball tournament there at the Mamba Academy, a place Kobe Bryant started for kids. He was just beginning the next chapter of his life as a father, as a a coach, as a more mature man the night before he died congratulating LeBron on Twitter about LeBron taking his spot on the all-time scoring leaderboard at number three. Corbin Carson's been covering the story since we found out about it uh, early yesterday. Corbin, what's going on? Yeah, guys, probably the most important info, at least as far as the crash is concerned, we are waiting to hear uh, from the NTSB investigators who will have a press conference. Uh, They're planning that for 4 p.m. today. It's likely too soon to expect an official cause Uh, of the crash, but at least at this conference, there may be some more info as to whether the crash was caused by weather or some other reason. Now, what we think so far, what we've been hearing so far is extremely foggy weather is the current speculation by many aviation experts that that low, dense fog caused LA uh, LA police helicopters to ground their flights. The LAPD minimum requirements for flights are two miles of visibility and an 800-foot cloud ceiling. We've heard reports the fog yesterday morning was as low as 300 feet in places along the flight, as you mentioned, from John Wayne Airport to the Thousand Oaks and Newberry Park area. Now, we're also hearing that this pilot, who's now been identified as Ara Zabayan, is an experienced and veteran pilot who is also a flight instructor. Uh, Zabayan was rated to fly in this foggy weather conditions, like what the helicopter carrying Kobe Bryant and eight others were experiencing yesterday. Plus, we're hearing reports that the pilot was operating under special VFR or special visual flight rule status, which simply means that the pilot had been granted a request to fly under those foggy conditions yesterday. Now, this is a special flight plan that calls for the pilot to steer clear of clouds and fog and to use things like highways to navigate. But again, we will not know if either of these issues or, or something else entirely is what the cause of the crash will be. What kind of activity is going on at the crash site today? 
Uh, I haven't been out there. I actually am, I'm, I'm out in Orange County right now, uh, getting back on the coronavirus, which I started on yesterday. Since we had some uh, some new uh, some new uh, cases out here in LA County and Orange County, so I haven't seen any uh, particular crash site. But I assume they are sifting through that you know nearly a. F- a football field-sized area of debris that was scattered along that that mountainside. It's very rough terrain out there. Firefighters had to hike in to get to this crash site when it hit the the hillside yesterday around 9:45. So it was just a, a very intense scene. We were told that it was going to take us several days to make positive IDs for the bodies, but again, those came out just in the last hour or so. So. Hopefully, again, we'll hear more at this this press conference at 4. Corbin, thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, guys. There are so many tributes that have begun, and it's only the beginning. Last night, yesterday, you saw different public address announcers at various NBA games announce uh, the, the death of Kobe Bryant. Take a moment of silence. You saw Madison Square Garden lit up in purple and gold. At one point before the game, when they were doing their tribute, they had the entire hardwood awash in a purple hue. They put the Lakers logo up there next to the Knicks and Kobe's two numbers uh, as well, right there in the middle of, of the hardwood. Uh, I was driving home yesterday after being here and covering this and it was dark by the time I got there and there was about a block away. Somebody had draped gold and purple lights over a big tree uh, on the main street there. You're going to see the Warriors as well uh, pay tribute already. They have a large video board outside the arena featuring Kobe Bryant's image. Steph Curry talking about the law saying a lot of questions right now. Our faith is being tested, but all I can say is thank you. May you and Gianna rest easy at the pro bowl. There were chants of Kobe, Kobe. I saw some videos from classrooms today where at eight 24, his two numbers, the kids all threw paper ball, paper balls at the uh, wastebasket. We've also seen, you know, this week being Super Bowl week, a lot of people that are in Miami getting ready for that game. That a lot of the sports networks that are there uh, setting up, of course, for what is normally a very uh, party atmosphere week, that a lot of it is dominated by, I mean, football, dominated by people wearing Kobe jerseys and everything showing up to the events. Um, Charles Barkley, longtime uh, NBA player, now commentator, of course, Hall of Famer said uh, in a statement that was just published a short time ago, first, I want to express my deepest condolences to the families and friends of all nine people killed in this tragedy. I really want to emphasize that in remembrance of the other seven people involved, for me, this is like losing a family member to lose Kobe and his daughter Gianna. Basketball is a close-knit fraternity, and I'm just sad, really sad. My thoughts and prayers are with Vanessa and their girls, uh, the Lakers family, and every basketball fan around the world. Um, I mentioned this earlier that the one of the things that what what I found most impactful yesterday in terms of all of the remembrances that were coming out and social media of course full of people's you know the selfie that they took at the Gelson's with Kobe or whatever it was you know they they had this brush with this guy either the height of his career or later on when he was coaching his daughter's basketball teams that the the two that I thought were most impactful were Shaquille O'Neal's remembrance of of Kobe on Twitter because 
for years the story was about their beef was about their feud. Yeah, but they had come around and were were great friends. Yeah, and and he in fact, even... Kobe was texting Shaq's son the, yesterday morning before he took off. Really? Yeah, and and Shaq's son didn't get it until after the or didn't respond until after the crash. Uh, but but Shaq referred to Kobe as his brother, um, and you know you could tell was impacted by it. The other one, the other image I saw was of Gianna in her basketball uniform standing courtside at one of her games and her little sister runs up to her and just does one of those little kid full body hugs which was a it was a reminder perhaps that not only do you lose a guy who's more you know for a lot of people a personality that maybe you never knew but were aware of but this was that these were families that were torn apart yesterday uh, that these, you know, these big three sisters girls are taken, gonna... little sisters taken. Yeah. yeah, I think this was one of those mornings where where we all woke up, and I, I bet all of us had the same first thought: of did that happen? Oh my gosh, Kobe Bryant is gone. You know, it's just it's just something that I think has hit harder than any story I ever remember hitting a, a, a city in particular. Uh, you just you couldn't see anything else on social media for the past 24 hours. It's every post is about this crash. Um, so it's just how many people have been touched by this. We'll talk, it is so tragic. Uh, Kobe was one of, of nine people. We'll talk some more about the other people as well who were involved. And then um, things that people want to do in terms of commemoration. Some people want to f- change the way the NBA does things. Uh, we'll talk about that, the Hall of Fame, all of that stuff coming up. Yeah, also Grammys were uh, pretty cathartic last night as they took place in the house that Kobe built and how the musicians were able to honor him. We'll get into that this hour as well. Gary and Shannon will continue. Chance of winning 1000 bucks on the other side. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM640 live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. We got money to give away. Here's a thousand bucks. For your chance at a thousand bucks, text the nationwide keyword coffee, C O F F E E, to 200 200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. That's coffee to 200 200. And don't forget, winners answer the phone. Losers will let the thing go to voicemail, and they'll miss out on a thousand bucks. Another chance next hour. In fact, every weekday, twenty after every hour between five twenty in the morning and six twenty at night, we give away a thousand bucks right here on KFI. We continue to cover yesterday's tragedy: the helicopter crash that killed Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven others. Investigators from the NTSB will hold a media briefing today at four o'clock. But we wanted to talk to Jay Ratliff. He is an aviation expert, and he joins us now to talk about the grim investigation and the talk about the speculation that it was heavy fog that was at least partly to blame for this tragedy. Jay, thanks for taking time out for us. Appreciate it. It, It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, So, you know, the information that we're getting, some of it is official, some of it is uh, speculation at this point, but what's some of your initial reactions to the information we do have about what happened yesterday? Well, I'm I'm getting a lot from eyewitness accounts, which uh, when I was on the GO team for Northwest Airlines, when we would have accidents, a lot of times you would interview two or three witnesses that were shoulder to shoulder, and they would have three completely different accounts of what took place. So a lot of times in a in a trauma situation like that where there's a great deal of stress, 
sometimes those eyewitness accounts are a bit suspect. So I'm not saying dismiss them entirely, but many times in the early stages of an investigation, one like this that's going to go 10 to 12 months before it's finalized, a lot of times we can't put a, a great deal of weight onto those. And, of course, the fog situation is something a lot of people are calling into question, saying, should the aircraft have been flying? And, and obviously that was an indication of, of what probably was one of the causes. But keep in mind, it, it could have been anything. It could have been a mechanical situation involving that aircraft that the pilot was fighting. Uh, we could have had a situation where the pilot, uh, the lone pilot, had some sort of a medical condition where he had a heart attack, stroke, or something else that could have caused a problem with that aircraft uh, remaining airborne. Uh, we could have had a situation where a drone was in the wrong spot in the middle of the fog. We, we don't know. That's simply to say that as the National Transportation Safety Board is now on the ground, uh, 19 or 20 or so that we have there, uh, they're going to be able uh, to start the process of collecting as much data as they can, both uh, with uh, the aircraft itself plus some of the extraneous uh, information that we have, such as the flight data recorder, where we have some indication of, of what the aircraft movement was prior to the to the crash. And they will slowly begin the process of, uh, you know, allowing the facts as they find them to dictate the course of the investigation. Let's talk about the helicopter itself, this uh, Sikorsky S-76. Is it is it mm -hmm. a pretty common uh, type of helicopter, uh, especially for something like this? I mean, private ownership, private charter kind of kind of deal? Well, initially, the aircraft, and I believe it was in the early 90s as it came out, was designed to transport individuals on and off uh, offshore uh, rigs, oil rigs. And it was a very rugged aircraft that uh, was designed to operate in all kinds of, as you might expect, uh, you know, difficult weather. And uh, over the years, uh, there are many communities around the country that use this type of an aircraft as their air ambulance uh, as far as care flights. So it's it's a very dependable, very rugged type aircraft. And, of course, you have people that use it as a luxury aircraft where they, they use it uh, as uh, Kobe did and as, as so many others do, uh, where it's basically kind of a corporate Uber, if you will, that, uh, you know, it's, it's like many of us would have a minivan in the driveway. It's just a, a helicopter that was used. Uh, for the sake of convenience, uh, to get them from point A to point B, it's a it's a very rugged aircraft. It has a, a great deal of high tech, uh, modern equipment to it. Uh, as I understand it, this particular uh, helicopter is delivered with an avionics package, which includes a cockpit voice recorder. Now, I have not received confirmation on whether or not there is one from the people that I've been talking to close to the investigation. But if this has a cockpit voice recorder. Uh, then we would at least be able to have the investigators hear what was going on at the moments leading up through the flight towards the crash, any alarms that might be sounding, any discussions that were ongoing uh, in the uh, cockpit area of that aircraft. So hopefully that's the case because that sort of information, if they can glean from that any data at all, right. it would certainly assist the investigation. What does the data tell you that the data that the helicopter was descending at a rate of 4,000 feet per minute and at a rate of 184 miles per hour, what does that say? Well, it, it says that when you have that kind of limited visibility with that kind of speed, it makes me think that it's something beyond just, uh, you know, a, a situation of someone losing their way in the uh, in the clouds. It, it could be that we're back to dealing with some sort of a mechanical situation or something else uh, that caused that rapid uh, descent and uh, that uh, not accelerated speed, but that speed. And some of the eyewitness accounts that I've been reviewing over the last 24 hours talk about an aircraft that's hovering here or there and then moments later uh, crashing. Well, that really doesn't fit with 
the narrative of the data that we have that suggests that that aircraft was at the last moment uh, traveling at a great uh, deal of speed. So that's one of the reasons that this investigation is going to take uh, a, a long period of time. We have the press, of course, uh, pushing for answers, hoping that within the next few days we're going to get some sort of an indication of what the cause might be. But uh, the reason that we are enjoying the safest air ever of commercial jet travel here in the United States, you got to go back to, what, February of 2009 since our last commercial jet crash, is because of the National Transportation Safety Board. Uh, those all-stars are incredible at investigating, finding out what happened, and then coming out of that with a list of recommendations to the Federal Aviation Administration on how we can make commercial aviation, or in this case, private uh, general aviation, uh, safer. And we certainly owe it to the lives of those that were on board that aircraft uh, to find out what happens so we can reduce the likelihood of it ever happening again. Jay, is it your opinion that we're going to find the answers in the electronic evidence that we have or the physical evidence on the ground from the helicopter, or is it too early to even answer that? I'm going to say they're going to get it from both. Uh, I can't give you a percentage as far as what it would be. Uh, I can tell you that one of my initial concerns that turned out to unfortunately be baseless was where this particular uh, crash took place, it was not in a populated area because one of the things that always concerns us from an investigative standpoint is that there's individuals that unfortunately go and collect souvenirs, parts of the aircraft. And uh, they did a good job yesterday of containing the area so that we didn't have any of that because obviously uh, that type of thing, if someone left with a critical piece as small as it might have been, it could have really impeded the investigation. So at this point in time, they're doing everything that they need to be doing. And uh, some people ask me about the FBI presence early on. But look, anytime you have an accident like that, one of the things that's a procedural situation is we need to determine whether or not there was any foul play involved or any sort of a terrorist-type situation. And many times those are dismissed pretty quick. But it's protocol. That's what happens. And uh, they stand down and everything turns over to the National Transportation Safety Board and they kind of take it from there. Jay Ratliff, appreciate your time. Aviation expert, really great information. Uh, my pleasure. Hopefully next time a, a much uh, happier topic. Yes, yeah. we'll definitely choose that. That's for sure. All right. When um, The Staples Center, of course, has been referred to as the house that Kobe built. And it was busy last night. Not only were people outside remembering Kobe Bryant, but on the inside, they still had to do the Grammys. Jason Nathanson is going to join us. We're going to talk about that when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Are you listening? Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live, everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. The impeachment trial continues in the Senate. The president's defense team has been presenting arguments uh, against removal from office, but also against impeachment in general. Pam Bondi, former attorney general for the uh, for the state of Florida, has just taken the podium and is beginning her portion of all of this. Uh, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, a couple of, uh, a couple of other more moderate Republican senators have suggested that they would be opening to calling uh, would be open to calling witnesses. That is, especially after a revelation that uh, John Bolton, former National Security Advisor, says the president told him he wanted to withhold hundreds of millions of dollars in security aid until Ukraine promised to help him with investigations into Democrats. 
Uh, we have, of course, uh, for the last 24 hours, 27 hours or so, been covering the uh, the death of Kobe Bryant, along with eight other people in a helicopter crash in Calabasas yesterday. And while Staples Center is going to be forever linked to the Lakers because it's their home, and uh, it's often called the house that Kobe built, uh, they had something else going on last night. They, there, had the, they had the Grammys. There were some moments that just gave me chills. Lizzo opening up the night saying that this was Kobe's night. And then Alicia Keys and Boys to Men. Uh, that was hard to get through. Jason Nathanson joins us now for all the coverage. Uh, Jason, you feel the same way? Yeah, I thought that they were going to cry during that because I, I, backstage there were a lot of uh, uh, tears in people's eyes, I think, while we were watching that. And for them to be able to pull that together, Boys to Men were already in the house because they were part of another performance. Uh, but for them to be able to do that and get on stage, you know, and, and the, the news was so fresh at that point. Uh, and then the camera goes up to his jerseys, number eight and number 24, that have been retired in the Staples Center. Uh, to have that there, knowing the significance of what Kobe Bryant meant to the city and meant to Staples Center and everything, it was a, it, it was a very tough moment for sure. And it was a real difficult thing to watch the red carpet interviews because, uh, God, I love Robert Kovacic so much, but he had to balance the whole, uh, you know, what are you wearing thing with getting reaction from everybody um, who are mostly L.A. centric people about this city's heartbreak. Yeah. And music and, and basketball, of course, uh, so closely tied. Right. Kobe knew so many of the people there and the, the people there. Absolutely. They knew him. And while I wasn't on the red carpet, I was outside Staples Center where in the L.A. Live courtyard, that's where everybody had gathered because, of course, you couldn't get to Staples Center because it was all blocked off for the Grammys. But right outside in L.A. Live, you were, you know, when, when I showed up, there were already hundreds of people gathered there spontaneously chanting Kobe and MVP and uh, thank you, Kobe. And his image in black and white was on all the screens there. Uh, saying, you know, uh, in memory of him in 1978 to 2020. And the people that I talked to were just, you know, they were they were devastated and they didn't know where to go. You know, some people went to Calabasas, of course, and, and checked out the scene there and left candles and teddy bears and things like that. But Staples Center is probably the, the first stop for people who wanted to go and honor him because, you know, when there was a championship, that's where everybody would go. And they would go down there and filled the, that whole area with thousands of people screaming and, and chanting and, and all excited. And I, as I was looking outside uh, Staples Center there, and they have the statues for, for Magic, and they have Stan, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and of course Shaq, and the, uh, he's, you know, uh, taking, he's, uh, the, he's above the, the kind of Staples Center there, uh, slam dunking a ball into a net. Um, and you kind of wonder, well, where's Kobe's statue? Well, you know, he only retired a couple of years ago, but uh, I'm sure they're fast-tracking that now, and there will be a statue for him outside Staples Center. So. Yeah, and they have announced that he will be inducted into the Hall of Fame with the 2020 class of uh, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett. So uh, that's possible. Well, the, the Grammys themselves, I mean, outside of the, the connection like you're referring to with Kobe Bryant, with Staples Center, Billie Eilish made history yesterday. Yeah, she 
she did. She won the uh, the big four, as they call them, Song of the Year, Record of the Year, Album of the Year, and Best New Artist, which hadn't been done since, I think, 1981. And she's also the youngest ever winner of Album of the Year at 18 years old. She was nominated when she was 17. And uh, the, the, previous best, uh, the previous youngest winner of that was Taylor Swift when she was 20. So, I mean, just a, an absolutely huge night for her. Ratings-wise, not so much. We just got the ratings in, and they were down 6% from last year, which I'm a little surprised at because I would have thought with everything happening with Kobe, that was the, the first place and the one place that we were all, as a country, able to tune in, maybe see some kind of remembrance of him. So I thought people, that would, people would tune in for that. Uh, but they were down 6% from last year to uh, 18.7 million viewers, which is still the best non-sports event of the year so far, uh, beat the Golden Globes. But in the key demo of 18 to 49-year-olds, it's the lowest rating ever for the for the Grammys. So a little bit of a surprise there. Hmm. I wonder if anything had to, if that had anything to do with the controversy that we saw last week leading up to it and the recording you know, industry. I, I don't think so. I, I think, think that just – I think everyone forgot about that. I mean, I think it was just all Kobe – yesterday and i think if people weren't watching on tv they were probably just on social media i mean it was really hard to not pay attention to all the details that were coming out about what had happened you know and, and I, when you when you when you look at the ratings of, of it being down in the key demo of 18 to 49 year olds the lowest ratings ever i think that really does show that the way people watch things and the way people get their news. I mean, so many people I heard, you know, talking about Kobe yesterday was, uh, I got the news on my phone. Yeah. Right? You yeah. look at your phone and that's, that's where you get it. And that's where people were going for reaction. They were going to Twitter. They were going to Instagram. They were going to social media to find all that. So uh, when you look at the ratings being the lowest ever, that's not really surprising there. But the controversies leading up to it with the CEO, Deborah Duggan, and with um, – uh, Aerosmith and everything, I thought that would actually increase audience. But then when the Kobe news happens, of course, that changes everything and changed the whole tone for everything last night. I felt like it was cathartic almost to watch. I wasn't going to watch any of it. And then it was on here when I was uh, getting ready to go yesterday. And so I watched a little bit of it and I saw the uh, Boys to Men performance, acapella and some of the other tributes. And it just kind of felt good that, that they were at Staples Center and, you know, you it just—it's just like a sense of togetherness, you know. And then, and then when I got home, I just consumed it on Twitter, right, and uh, right. YouTube, and all of that. I wasn't going to sit down in front of the television, which, like you said, just goes to show how we consume these types of things, even when they're live events now. Unless it's a unless it's a live sports event, it's You're rare. Out. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I was actually surprised, watch, like sitting there and watching the whole thing go. Uh, with the tributes to Kobe in the beginning, uh, you know, which was, I, I thought, very nice. But then I, I felt that there was a lack of mention of him throughout the rest of the show. The, a couple times his jersey appeared on stage during a couple of the performances. Lizzo mentioned in her speech something. But other than that, there really wasn't much of a mention of, of Kobe or shout out to him or, or anything like that, which I was actually somewhat surprised by. Mm-hmm. Jason, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Jason Nathanson there with the latest, again, from uh, the Grammys last night and the commemorations of Kobe Bryant, at least at the very beginning of the uh, of the show. When we come back, talk more about what um, what we know about Kobe's legacy, sort of what it is that he'll be remembered for 
the announcement that he will be inducted in the uh, in the Hall of Fame coming up later this year, and uh, some more about what tomorrow is going to bring because tomorrow is the first Lakers home game since his death and what that could potentially mean for uh, for people who are going out there. Gary and Shannon. Car that night, Saturday in July, we have the radio down. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640 Live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Just want a quick reminder that this Friday we're doing our next News and Brews. In fact, it is the last News and Brews before the Iowa caucuses. Oh, and don't worry, Bella won't be there. Yeah, Bella, Bella, Bella who I thought was my friend... I thought she was a friend of the show. She's two exits from the. She's from two, two exits, exits, two exits from, from HKs, and she Stones throw. has some sort of school to go to. Some, some sort, sort of, of schooling, some sort of masters. So sorry, I have school and work. I have to do that day. I mean, I'll be listening. Have you not? They're going to be working. Yeah, we're working. Have you not heard me say that you can lie and cheat and steal your way to a news and brews? Yeah, but I but, physically can't lie. Yeah, yes, but, you can. No. I will make the call for you. I mean, they're probably Hi, listening right mom. now. Who is? Who's they? <laughs> yeah, who's yeah, they? Yeah, you're my mom would get mad at me. Bella's like chemtrails. We're going to be at HK, <laughs> HK's Bar and Grill uh, out in Rancho coming up uh, Friday. Friday the 31st from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. All the information is up on the website. If you go to KFIAM640.com, use the keyword Gary and Shannon. They'll have specials out there for you as well when you come on out. Uh, grab an early, uh, grab an early lunch. All right. Well, tonight the NBA has six games scheduled. Uh, all of them, I assume, will do some sort of a commemoration of Kobe Bryant. But the big one is that tomorrow night they have, I think it's eight games on the schedule tomorrow night, and of course the seven o'clock tip off between the Lakers and the Clippers. And I don't know if it's more appropriate. Yes, it is that, absolutely because it's, it's Los Angeles. Yeah, that, it's all LA. I mean, it's it's. That's the matchup you'd want. What we've said to this point. And I don't know how you play that game. I don't know. I mean, you know, you saw LeBron yesterday crying, Kleenex, stabbing his eyes, his hoodie pulled up on the tarmac when the Lakers landed. This was after he had taken, just hours after he had taken Kobe's spot on the leaderboard when it comes to all-time scoring at number three. Kobe tweeted his congratulations to him. You better believe that those two had a uh, phone conversation after that. You know they did. And Kobe, or I'm sorry, LeBron is doing an interview post-game, and he's talking about how it doesn't make sense, how it's so surreal. And he's talking about beating Kobe on the leaderboard. But you take those comments that he said Saturday night about taking his spot, about it being surreal and it not making sense, and he just repeated that over and over. And in a more somber tone, that's exactly how everyone felt yesterday morning. There was an odd thing that was going on when I was listening. First got the news and was driving um, towards Dallas yesterday. And there was an odd thing going on with the Dallas sports station talking about this because they were they were referring to, you know, obviously the city of Los Angeles has a different relationship with Kobe than the city of Dallas does for for Dallas and Mavericks fans. 
he was always the adversary. He was always the enemy. He was always the guy. I mean, but with the utmost respect for the guy who would school you, you know, left and right. Um, there was a weird thing where the the two hosts that I was listening to, and this was very, very early on. I mean, this is when we still thought there were only three people on board. And we thought that Rick Fox was one of them when he wasn't. I mean, all of that stuff was still early. They were speculating that the NBA was going to cancel all of the games yesterday a, a, until further notice. That didn't happen. But one of the callers that was uh, that came in and called and said, hey, I've always respected Kobe, he said, there's no way they're going to cancel these games because there's no way that Kobe would want you to cancel right. basketball games for him. Yep. So the the odd part about this, and I said this earlier today, is that as of right now, the Lakers have not made a statement about this. In fact, the last tweet on the Lakers' official account was from Saturday night, and it was the shot that LeBron made to move into third place all-time over, uh, over Kobe. No words. I'm seeing that over and over from people who were connected to Kobe. He worked for the Lakers for 20 years. I'm being told that they brought in grief counselors for the Lakers employees today for group sessions, for one-on-one sessions, that the building is just crawling with counselors because this was somebody who worked for this organization, was this organization, the face of the organization for 20 years. And even in retirement, he's still looms larger than life when it comes to being synonymous with the Lakers. Somebody who spent his entire career there, built this dynasty, brought so much enjoyment, brought so many wins, so many championships to this to this organization. I I don't think they have the words yet to figure out what they would be when they do issue a statement. Well, I was thinking today, I mean that meeting where you where you sit down with whoever and say how do we memorialize him right. in a way that that is is uh, that reflects worthy. how important he is right. to to the entire franchise now um he was announced last month as one of the nominees for this year's induction into the Hall of Fame along with Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, Tim Hardaway, Muggsy Bogues um we know that Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett are going to be in and of course Jerry Colangelo the USA basketball director announced today that Kobe would be um would be inducted posthumously, of course, coming up, I think it's uh, August is when they do their inductions. The 2020 class will officially be announced in April, and they usually do that during the Final Four for the NCAA tournament. Um, The other thing is that there were, I mean, everybody obviously has dominated the conversation by talking about Kobe uh, and even his 13-year-old daughter, Gianna, but you had seven other people. You had John Altabelli, longtime baseball coach at Orange Coast College, with his wife, Carrie, and their daughter, Alyssa, who was a teammate of Gianna. Sarah and Peyton Chester, mother and daughter, also lived in Orange County. Christina Mauser and her husband went on the Today Show. She's 38 years old. Three small children. Her husband saying... I've got three small kids, and I'm trying to figure out how to navigate life with three kids and no mom. And that, if that doesn't rip your heart out. Um, and the pilot. How do you explain that? How do you, how do you tell your kids that, that, that mom's not coming home? No idea. Uh, the pilot, in this case, Era is a boy and a longtime 
uh, Zobaya and a longtime pilot, specifically for Kobe, I guess private pilot for the most part, is a longtime pilot. He had been a flying aircraft in Southern California for 20 years, worked as a, even as a helicopter instructor, uh, and had trained hundreds of people to be uh, helicopter pilots. So um, we'll, maybe when we find out tomorrow, if anything, more about what the Lakers plan to do for tomorrow night's game, but uh, you're not going to get tickets, by the way. I was just reading. Um, I was just reading. Christina Mauser, her husband Matthew, was talking about telling their kids. Her kids are three, nine, and eleven. No. And he said that they screamed and they yelled, and I just held them. John and Ken, up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Oh. oh, Gary and Shannon. He's giving it the big build up there, and he did not deliver at all. What a shame. Nobody wants to see that. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now, a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest interest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together, they can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit PenFed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCU. Anyway.